I had so much energy yesterday, and now I'm like, I guess it's just Friday. Great, great way to start off the podcast there. Let's have a little um, meditation moment. <laughs> if you're riding in your car, don't close your eyes, but imagine you're at a waterfall. The water's trickling down. A fairy appears from behind the cave. There's money in the fairy's hand. It flies over, whispers in your ear. I have no idea where you're going with this. It's called improv, man. <laughs> if you jump into the river, I will deposit this money into your business bank account. Immediately uh, jumps in. <laughs> but I don't have a business bank account, you say to the fairy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm tired. This is not the beginning of a podcast. I'm just tired. <laughs> could be um let me just gather myself here for a second i drank last night yeah yeah dude i went home last night and i was like just wanting to do nothing with my brain so i was like what judd apatow movie am i gonna watch tonight and then i was like oh i want to see hangover and hangover is not by judd apatow it's by todd phillips who did the joker which is pretty crazy because they're opposite movies in some regards um and instead of going to Chipotle and getting like a thing, I went to Mighty Quinn's, the barbecue that? place. But they have like a bowl. So it's like a great alternative to like Chipotle if you want like a good meal, like a healthy meal. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they have like, you know, they're, they're the ones who have the brisket at, at um, Smorgasburg. You know that brisket with like the salt and they just like smack it and like the fat jiggles and you're like, I can't wait to get that inside <laughs> my belly. It's delicious. They do barbecue, but it's really good. But they have one in my neighborhood, and you can get a bowl. It's like rice and like brisket or burnt ends with like a little bit of barbecue sauce. And they have like sweet potato casserole, and they have like broccoli and bacon. But they have some healthy ones too, like just broccoli and like just roasted sweet potatoes. So I did that. That's like, it was great. It's like a great alternative. Like, that's the one part of the West Village I don't like is there's not a lot of like fast food, like quick meal healthy options there's like all these sit down places are super fancy right anyways i was pretty excited about it and they have a lot of good stuff if you want to go for a cheap meal too but they have like just good chicken you know it's just like an alternative we'll go next time we're in my head because it's really really good it's good yeah oh yeah it's delicious like the brisket and the pulled pork and stuff is being made all day long it's like legit good barbecue and i know good barbecue yeah ish i've never done texas yet I know that Texas brisket is apparently where it's at, but I've done South Carolina, lots of South Carolina barbecue. Georgia, Florida has good barbecue as well. I don't really know barbecue, so I'm just going to take your word on all this. It's all over the place, man. You know, like the palates are really different in the different states. Um, Mustard-based, like vinegar-based, like like sweeter. It's like the sauce. Yeah, mm -hmm, the sauce. It's very different in the different regions. Um, I like the vinegar-based. It's different. but uh, yeah, apparently, apparently, um, just the, the brisket in, in Texas is supposed to be good. I love barbecue. Well, we grew up, you know, like it, when you tailgate and you're a college football fan, that's like what you are <laughs> eating every weekend. So, um, but my, Mighty Quinn's is surprisingly good because you come to New York and you think like it's like the worst place to get barbecue, right? But yeah, Mighty Quinn's is great on like the faster food side. There's this place in Williamsburg called Fet Sow, which is like unreal good and then i've been to a place up in harlem dinosaur yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which is that place which is, is a fun spot unbelievable yeah so um but i think fat sow is my favorite actually um so good 
but uh, I guess it's not that hard. You know, just get the fattiest piece of meat you can, <laughs> put it in a slow, yeah, slow slow cook and it, slow. yeah, for hours. But um, anyways, so yeah, I'm just tired, man. I'm just tired. I don't know why. It's because there's no more nitro cold brew. We work. <laughs> Everyone's wondering if when when if and when we work is going to shut down. Well. These, are the, war- these are the warning signs. Yeah, No exactly. more nitro cold brew. No more plastic forks. We have metal forks now. No more full-size coffee cups. We have mini. Look at your little <laughs> mini cup over there. No, this is a normal cup. I just have really, really big hands. <laughs> I think you would get made fun of in middle school if you drank coffee out of a cup that looked like that. <laughs> I think you'd get made fun of in middle school if you drank coffee. That's true. That's true. I wonder if middle schoolers these days do cool things like what's the hip thing to do. You know what the hip thing to do for middle schoolers is today? Because my niece is 13 years old. She wears hood sweatshirts that are look like they're $10 champion sweatshirts. They look like the kinds of black sweatshirts with the champion logo that yeah. you would buy when we were their age for like literally $9.99. And this year I got them for a Christmas gift and they were like 60 bucks, and they're super <laughs> in vogue. And they they just look like crummy old '90s hoodies, and that's what's in style right now. '90s clothing is in style. Fila champion, a black sweatshirt with a Friends logo on it. No joke. That no joke. That's uh, that's like super trendy right now. Did you start recording that? Yeah. We talked about so many important things now. I wouldn't want anyone <laughs> to miss it. Yeah, it's a. It doesn't make any sense. It's. I mean, I guess everyone does it, right? But it's so. It's, does like does like is like NBC? It's like low fashion from our time growing up in the '90s and 2000s is now yeah. trendy, hip fashion for kids. Do you think someone at NBC is like, "Wow, our our friends' merchandise is like <laughs> off the charts"? What the hell is going on? I'm sure they know exactly what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> it's all the, it's a long game. Hot take: Is the Pentagon good? LOL. Next JS. Tell I mean, me what's going covered, on next. We covered Dependabot. Yeah, I um, it's pretty cool. I've um. I've gotten like a, a, a world tour of all these different frameworks doing the Mirage stuff. So if someone will ask a question like, does I can't get Mirage working with Next? And I just immediately go and try to make it work. Um, yeah, we thought this was going to be so fun because we get to learn Angular and view and React <laughs> and uh, Svelte. And really, we just get to fight build setups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It, no, it's. I, I've gone through a bunch of tutorials a bunch of getting started guides I, I think it is cool yes just getting exposure to this stuff yes um next I, I wanted to talk about next um I had I didn't know much about next before last week and you know now that I've done the getting started guide I'm, I'm an expert <laughs> um I my view of next was um just like I heard um uh, Guillermo on Adam's podcast uh, my view of Next was like it, it's a framework that's made to be deployed to um, like now to edge servers. It does server side rendering um, for like your React components. It's meant to be fast. I've always like that's just sort of been the view in my head. It's like it's meant. I don't know what that actually means. But it's like a application architecture plus deployment architecture. It's yes. like a it's like a application and deployment architecture in one, which is why like when we were learning React, it wouldn't be like start with a next project. It's not really in the same category as like a create React app. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's how I've always viewed it. Um when I got started with it, I realized that it it is it is kind of create React app. Um which is interesting because I would never compare these two. And I realized that um, 
at least my take is their their positioning is so focused on edge deployment, speedy websites. You know, um, you can write JSX, but you should also have a server server rendering aspect of that if you're going to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I was really blown away that they not by the tech, but by the positioning that they take. Because I, I think it's going... It was an example of the importance of positioning given that the tech wasn't as different as you were thinking originally. Yeah, going through setting up a Next.js app, I realized this is basically a Webpack config, mm. right? Like at a, at a 100,000 foot mm-hmm. view. Now, of course, they're doing a lot more, mm-hmm. but it is basically a Webpack config. Mm-hmm. And you could compare it to something like um, Create React app. Mm-hmm. But I would never, like, I wouldn't do that. To me, these two things are uncomparable. Yeah. Because of what you said, we I look at Next as like a deployment and application architecture yeah. for deploying to the edge. Yeah. I look at Create React app as like, I'm building an SPA. And the fact that Next was able to, yeah. to differentiate themselves like this, I think is is really, really awesome. Interesting. I think it's really, really impressive. Interesting. Um so, which is why I've always kind of been confused. Like, if I build an app with Create React app, can I deploy it to now? And yeah. Like, of course, I know that you can because it's like a static asset at the end of the day. But at the same time, like now is always talking about, you know, runtime server stuff, things like that. So it's even interesting. Like, just that's why not, I've always deployed my Create React apps to Netlify and not now. Right. And even like you could replicate the now next setup using Create React app and netlify however mm-hmm. or or gatsby and netlify however you wouldn't like why if you think about like i need to, i want to build a react app that runs on the edge mm-hmm. and has is made for speed mm-hmm. like in my mind like why why explore anything other than next as your as your first try at this yeah but gatsby gives you a lot of different things gatsby is like higher level than next Again, my, my point is that like you are not setting yourself up for success to be positioned to take advantage of the architecture of Zite in the same and now in the same way that you are just it, by buying into Next. Even even if you are, you're when I think about like why I would use Next, mm-hmm. I don't think, oh, okay, like I could use Next or I could use Gatsby or I could use Create React App. Mm-hmm. Like I think mm-hmm. very specifically like mm-hmm. Next is made for this problem and I'm going to use Next. Well, which is why we weren't even considering Next for the website for Mirage. Yeah. Um, although in retrospect, well, it's different now that they have this option for to generate a server-side bundle or whatever. Um, and there's things we don't like about Gatsby, so it might be an option. But market, from a marketing and positioning perspective, it was not... Uh, really Gatsby was clearly a better fit for the kind of site we were building. Yes. And I think this is a good thing yeah. that Next takes this position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it Next doesn't say we were Next doesn't everything. say, yeah. oh, we could do that. Yeah. We could do that. Next is very clear. Like and and also too, like I, after I kind of realized mm-hmm. after using Next and going through this, I, I like went through their docs and um there's really nothing in their docs that say what I'm talking about. There's nothing in their docs that say like, oh, this is like made for deployment to the edge. It's more just how the people that work on the project talk about it. Yeah, yeah, The types yeah. of things they tweet about, they talk about on podcasts, their whole uh, now infrastructure. It's, it's again, it's just, it's such, such great positioning. Ah, that's really important. I think I was just watching this 
beginning of this video series from the future on YouTube about branding and um, when they help, they are like run this digital branding agency and it helps companies like uh, rebuild their brands or um, rebrand their products and stuff. And they always talk about what a brand is and, and a brand they in their phrasing is it is that it's the gut feeling people have about, you know, a product or company and how do you influence it? So if it's a gut feeling, you can't um, change your brand because you can't change directly someone's gut feeling. In that way, a brand is not like a logo that you can just change overnight. Um, you have to influence someone's gut feelings. You can't, you don't have control over it. And so the way you do that is through all of the, what they call the customer touch points. So every customer touch point is an opportunity or a chance or a time when you are influencing the brand. And so that's why it made me think of that, what you said, because when you see Guillermo tweeting on Twitter, you would be like, oh, I shouldn't, that's not like connected to next, except it is because yep. they're associated together. And um, obviously his values are going to influence who he hires and the kinds of things that are important to the people who work on next. So that in all of that in totality creates a brand, a gut feeling that people have about project like next, which is that it's for like a fast react site that might need to do runtime server rendering. And so when we're building a site, like does, Mirage, I mean, that does, that does. Like, does need to or do like it. that might from my needs might like we, is that a need of ours that we have? And like, for miragejs.com it's not it wasn't at the beginning and the near future it wasn't so that's why like whereas if we were building something like a real-time dashboard for the ipad in here that seems like it's pretty interesting because i know at a high level even if i haven't gone through the tutorial i can do api functions right there and uh that was just like gravity and ice that made that oh noise. i was wondering what that was <laughs> I know, <it's> weird <laughs> i think it just melted <laughs> enough to move that if we needed some api functions or something like that you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, whereas, like, it's almost an interesting thing, which is, like, what's more important, the byline on the homepage of nextjs.com or gatsbyjs.com, or the fact that, like, thousands of people have just been saying Gatsby's good for blogs and Gatsby's good for content sites for the last two years. The, I mean, the, the latter's the, way more important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a positioning. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, it's kind of interesting. Um, and it just shows you, it goes to show you, like, if you're in the position of running a brand or running a product or company, sometimes how much of an uphill battle you have because it's doesn't actually, you could put all the time in the world to the homepage content. And uh, if people say your thing is for something uh, that you are missing the mark there, that's, that's exactly what was this whole video series was about was he was saying the brand wasn't coming through in the way they wanted it to. And you don't have control ultimately over the brand since it's in the minds and the gut feelings of the users so how can you best influence that? Maybe with a better logo that communicates what you want it to, maybe with better marketing materials. Um, you know, it also reminds me of something you said this week, which was like, we're seeing a lot of people using Mirage. It's been pretty cool if people are just trickling in and using it with different tech stacks, even though, I mean, we're talking about it, but it's just, you know, it's kind of organically happening. I guess people are just discovering it in a variety of ways. And um, a lot of people are getting it running in development. And the testing story is really was at the, origin of mirage and is such a huge part of it if not the biggest part of it um given that like the http boundary is so hard to control especially in a place like a testing environment and um yeah there's like i mean testing isn't even emphasized in the docs like there's a there is a testing section but it's past the core concepts and uh there's so much more we could say about testing in mirage 100 percent. going back to what you say like we're not influencing 
people to think about testing, we might just have a few bullet points on testing. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, that's just good to chew on and think about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, kind of interesting. Cool. So do you like Next? Um, yeah, there's one more point I want to make about Next. I mean, I've been battling it for the Mirage integration, so that's that's like, you know, affecting my lens. We should talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we will. We'll get yeah. to it. The, the Next quick start was it was the fastest I've ever gone from reading like a, a quick start getting started web page to actually seeing code that seeing output of code that I wrote on the screen. And it made me think like, I wonder if this is why it's so popular because like you start to explore it and all of a sudden like you have an app. Interesting. Can Where, you walk through the steps? Yeah. Yeah. So normally like with like Ember view, angular, create react app, create react app. It's like, Oh, run this command to scaffold your app. Part of that command is like installing dependencies. So MPX space create React, React app, app space my app. My app. And then that sets it up. And then you're like, you have to like, you know, that sh- that like scaffolds out a package JSON for you. Then you actually have to install that package JSON. So right, right. I mean, right there. It's like you were already like a minute or two into mm-hmm. this. Um, then it's like, okay, now you want to like, you have an SRC folder in that. In the, yeah, you CD into it. You yarn start. You wait for that to start. Yep got an src folder you've got like a main or an app js you've, you've got an index js that does like the bootstrapping you have your, like your app js that's your root component you go in you edit that and then you see the code by the way that sounds like super easy mm-hmm. and super straightforward mm-hmm. um yeah as soon as i went through the next thing i was like holy crap those other those other cli tools they they're like take ages to get started interesting with. so with next you you basically you already have a node project so they just assume you already have a package JSON and you yarn add uh, next. And then they give you a script. So it's like next dev. That you, you paste into your scripts you key yeah. of package JSON. Yep. Um, and then you create a component. You have a pages directory. So you would create pages index.jsx and you would return uh, JSX from that. And that's it. And then you have you do next dev or whatever the yarn Script dev. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go to localhost 3000 and you see that output. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, there was like no, um, yeah. So How it, does, as long as it take to yarn add next? Is it fast? Super fast. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was, it really, really surprised me hmm. how fast I was writing code. And I was thinking, I was like, yeah, I could just keep writing code right now. Yeah. And then like all of a sudden, oh, look at that. Like I'm my app I just chose next. Right. I'm in, like I'm using next to develop my idea because there was like never any point where like I got stuck or it was just it, it really felt like I opened up the website and then all of a sudden I had an app. Interesting. Or with these other tools. It's pretty it's, cool. With these other tools, it's always been like um find this file, open it up, mm-hmm. add in the first line here. Mm-hmm. Um which is fine, like right? It's if you're going to scaffold out someone's app, you need to do that. I'm not saying these other tools are making a mistake. They're not. Right. Right. Um but yeah, it was it was like I'm developing an app and I don't even know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a, a very cool feeling. Interesting. So what does Next actually do? It's just providing like the build stuff. It's like looking at pages and Yeah, it's like a webpack and so so Basically, I'm a week into this, right? Not even mm-hmm. four days. Um, they give you like a file system based router. So you have a pages directory. And if I made pages slash my directory slash index, 
that would give me a localhost 3000 slash my directory URL. Mm -hmm. um, so I can just create JSX files, TSX files, and um, I automatically have a writer for those. Got you. The second thing is they do, um, they have a, on your components, you can add a static property called get initial props. And that, that's going to be the props that are first passed to this component when you server render it. And so it makes server rendering like really, really easy. And it's a prom, it's promise. Like it takes a venable if you need to. Yeah, I think you can, you can return a promise and it will wait for the promise to uh, fulfill. So if you were fetching data on a client, would you use that? No, you would use like a use effect and fetch. You So you can do both where you fetch data in both the use effect and in the um, get, initial uh, get initial props. And then so you'll render on the server and then you'll also fetch on the client and it should, you know, no op. Oh, but similar to like the fast, work. Similar yeah. to fast boot. Is there a way, but you can't, you can't. Yeah, there's probably a way hydration. I think, whatever. I think, yeah, I think they have, I haven't done this yet, but they Shoe have examples. If, if I, what, yeah. Yeah. Yep. They have examples of stuff like this. Um, I'm not sure if they go that far as a shoebox, but you could make caching the response on yep. the server. And then, yeah. Um, have you seen any examples of fetching data on the server with get initial props? Like your server is making a request to another server. So it's like not slash. It's like a, you need you know, like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does that work? Um, you have you so they use like isomorphic fetch. Okay. And their example. So this is fetch that works on both Node and the browser. And uh, yeah, you'd be making a you you're not making a request to the next app. You'd be making a request to API server. API server. Yeah. Um, and again, with like my understanding of now, you'd probably want that also deployed on the edge, so your edge. Uh, front ends aren't going back to some origin to fetch their data because that like, defeats the whole point. Well, you can put API routes in the next app too, right? I haven't, I haven't gotten that far, but I think you can. But then eventually, if you need to talk to like a database or something, I can't go on the edge, right? We've talked about that before. Yeah, I think they. I've, I've heard Guillermo say you should use databases that do support um, being on the edge. So they're like Amazon has an offering for this <clears throat> where they have like an SQL database that um, you can access from anywhere. I see. So I thought I saw him tweeting recently about like the idea of like server side rendering, runtime server side rendering, just being like he doesn't even believe in it anymore. Like if your app needs data at runtime, um, you should just ship an app shell and let the client fetch it. Because why? make the server fetch it first just get because then you can't do edge deploy basically his whole thing is like what is the most that we can ship to the edge and then everything else let the client request it directly well well i mean i don't know his arguments but i think that's what he was saying recently i think you can you can you can design an application that lives a hundred percent on the edge i've heard him talk about this before so you can have a database that lives on the edge. Uh, well, you give up some things. I mean, you can't just do that with no trade-offs. I mean, if right, you, right, right. Yeah, right. And even if you can, I mean, what, even let's if we just can say that your application has to, you can't show stale data. Well, okay. I was going to say we might be able to bend these trade-off curves in a way that. Um, okay, you're always going to run into to cap theorem, but 
we might be able to bend these in a way where like you don't have to think about stale data like if 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 there's a chance that you're going to get stale data um maybe like your server blocks the the read and so even though you're reading from the edge you can't read from an edge if there's like a chance it's stale i don't know if like that's realistic and i don't know if if you actually can build in a, a database that has that guarantee i feel like the the way to 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 the the hardest version of this story is to have an app that needs real time what is effectively real time data right so yes if i deploy the app if i change some static data in the index.html like and you don't have it it's stale but effectively right you that that's not the domain i'm talking about i'm talking about real time data so an app shell is always the same for everyone and it's uh fresh but then there's content that is effectively real time but that's the kind of app that would put the architecture to the test but then we're not but this is goes back to how i started this podcast like then we next is next and now are less interesting to to me if i always have to go back to a central data source and i lose all this running code on the edge well i'm just saying let's take the hard case which is an app that basically requires real-time data i'm not prescribing it has to go to a centralized data store i'm just saying i mean i'm saying that isn't that isn't that the implication if you're taking this kind of app that has real-time requirements showing the stock price of apple real time on mm-hmm. a, a second basis you're not going to be redeploying that thing to the edge every second are you um that wouldn't be practical. No, 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 no. But the idea is your your code that's running on the edge yeah. has a, a low latency, like physically close to the Apple stock price. So it can ask a server in its data center, what is the, the stock price of Apple? And how does that know? Well, so this this is, again, this is where this turns into a black box with like... Let's these, say it's your data. Let's say it's your data. It's your data. Yeah. So you're like designing this thing end yeah. to end. Well, like you own the source of the truth. Like it's like, what's the temperature in Ember Maps office? And we're going to build an app everywhere. Yeah. They're going to update real time. So, so if we, if we wanted to make this so it could run on the edge, we wouldn't have all of our application code, like asking the thermometer in our office, what the temperature is. We would like, we would revert this and we would say, are every time invert i mean invert it yeah every time the temperature changes we would push out the temperature to all these to all of our edge servers yeah so that that way when the apps the apps can always ask a database that like lives right next to them okay but what if that but but what if you, what if it's up real time that's yeah, yeah you have to you actually have to go to the the thermometer in the office yeah yeah, and that in that case, going I, to the intermediate database that happens to be close by doesn't matter because the update frequency is so fast. So then, this whole argument of edge deployment is becomes silly, and we we over architect our application because we have this constraint. Well, it doesn't become silly. His argument is not that you add a intro, you introduce an intermediate database. His argument is the way to think about this is to. You have two alternatives in the in the event you're talking about a real-time app as I've described it, right? Mm-hmm. One is to basically do a Rails app, right? Let's say you were building this as a Rails app. And so when I request the data, and the data has to be so fresh that it cannot be duplicated, it cannot be sharded or whatever, shared across databases that are local to the app servers, there is a central database in Virginia that has a source of truth. When the client makes a request to the Rails app server that is close by, 
you have to make a request to a centralized database and then the app server gets the response and then sends it to the client. Mm -hmm. What he's saying is that is one alternative, but the other is you do the app shell model. And if there is such a request that must be so fresh that it cannot be gotten at the edge, push the request off until the last second when it's on the client side. And the client goes to Virginia. And the client goes to Virginia. Exactly. So that was his, I'm pretty sure that that was his um, argument. I'm kind of scrolling through his Twitter and just seeing if he says it because I'm pretty sure he said basically, that's when he says SSR is like, no, he thinks you don't need it anymore. That's what he's talking about. Not like you should never send HTML to the client, but more like, um, yeah, if your servers are making runtime requests, just let your clients make the runtime requests instead. But why? What's because like- you get the app shell fast because it, it depo- it's just a conceptual clean boundary that the app shell is like. I get you get the time to, to the edge, first. You get right. the time the first paint yes, faster. Yes, because you yes. get to render an app shell. Where, yes. but it, it it forces you to think very clearly about what is what can be cached and pushed to the edge and what is needed at runtime. Okay, that's 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 fair. Are you like thinking about Ted or something like how it would work? Yeah, well the architecture was was similar. The the architecture was similar, yeah. right? If there was if even there though was there was not, databases and Rails app servers, they were they were um but they were used as like edge servers. Yeah, and and and, and it was just there to make it yeah, to make it easy cuz you yeah, you don't have to build it. So I wonder, but they can't be deployed to a CDN, so I guess that's a difference. But, I, w- I mean, maybe it's... Is so there, what, would it, is look, there, what is, would it look like there? That's actually a good test question, right? Wait, wait, wait. I wonder... So in that case, you should always start by not server-side rendering. Correct. Rendering on the client. and then if Server-side you, generation, you would say, sure, right? Like, um, no, you're gonna no, be, no, 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 no data fetching on correct, the server. Correct, 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 correct. Always rendering. No runtime server rendering. Right. Right. So then your app always works. Right. But it might be slow in the sense that like you see a loading spinner for 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. But you would see the time to first would be faster, but it could potentially be slower than waiting for a full rails request from an app server that does server side rendering. But at that point, it lets you opt in to solving that problem. Right. So you can say like, we're going to have an intermediate database. Exactly. Or, or guess what? Real time data is not important exactly and we can serve from cache or exactly 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 okay i like I, that that's kind of interesting yeah yeah right? that's that's a good point okay but now to take the other side right because so say you have an app that's the extreme right take one in the middle that's like a bread and butter app like the kind we worked on before where you just it's a it's a rails back database backed app because it's just um it could be cached it's not like the data changes so fast that it can't be cached but it's like relatively complex and like We've seen that it's like way simpler if you just generate like server side rendering is very simple in the sense that like um, it's tra- it involves trade offs but like it also is just you know I visit the home page of Twitter and I fetch the latest tweets from the database and I give them to you and like that's extremely simple um, right mm-hmm. so like uh, if you had an app with a lot of views I mean does any crud operations here like basically violate the constraint i was just thinking like um <laughs> you hungry over there buddy? Yeah. uh putting the database you know like we've done and we've talked about 
in eight different places around the world close to where the origin is or whatever um or close to where the the origin of the request is um like if you took a complex rails app and tried to like pre-render it and cache it that wouldn't really make sense if it was a, a very dynamic app right i mean yeah so you wouldn't sure, do sure. that you wouldn't do that right but this is not what you just talked about is not is that not that it's it's deliberately and cache yeah, the it's, what, parts. it's what you said it's deliberately thinking yeah about which what parts you can, which parts code, you can cache yeah. so app shell yep and then letting the clients fetch data yeah the really nice thing about this I, I i don't think i was understanding was yeah it lets you do that and then optimize later yeah with server rendering the data fetching yeah 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 and that's really that, I mean, wait that's what a, do you mean like what we do in ember map no no, no. Well, you, you can you can render app shell yeah have all your clients fetch yep. the data so maybe this is suboptimal because you get instant fast time to first paint and you get a hundred percent on lighthouse right but the reality is uh your users have to see a loading spinner for 30 seconds 30 seconds yep. and that's obviously sure. not the case but sure. we're it's just slower extremes yeah. right yeah yep. um and so now you can say this 30 seconds for the loading spinner is is we need to change this yep. um, it's a problem it's a problem so how do we do this mm -hmm. well we can cache that data at the edge ah, 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 and, yeah. and our architecture is already set up to support all this right. because we already have these concepts of caching the app shell at the edge data that is doesn't change that changes infrequently yeah. enough yeah so like it's, the app shell it itself. lets you it, it lets you yeah, build have that app. yeah have it, that conversation and build it in that way and you build on top of all the work you previously did yeah 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 and instead of if you took a typical rails situation and then wanted to start caching bits of it it would be hard because all the dynamic parts it's not clear yeah, you start running. Um, your default is just everything runs through a Rails yeah, yeah, app yeah. server. It's not yeah, being it's, built into static assets. Right. It's not clear with Rails what you would do here, right? Like there's tons of custom architectures that you could come up with. So that's that, it's pretty uh, clear to me. Vagrant or whatever the thing. What is it? Varnish. 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 Not Vagrant. Varnish. Yeah, but. The, no, the, I'm kidding. That's like that's part of the. That was a joke. It's like there's a million ways you can go about. That is. Speeding up. So if you think about it, though, like you could reproduce this next architecture with Varnish. Where you selectively, where your Rails server renders HTML, right? There's just one Rails server. It's sitting in, I don't know, Ohio. It renders HTML. You have Varnish on every edge node. Yeah. It goes back to origin. Yeah. It gets that HTML. It caches it. Yeah. And then when it serves that HTML to clients, the clients then make fetches for data. And they go back to ohio with their fetches to get their real-time data yeah so you get that next model of like app shell fetches from clients and it's but just that's your, that's tons tons of custom <laughs> code that you now have to maintain yeah 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 it's a whole entire architecture that you need need to maintain yeah so yeah yeah it's really power i mean it's really yeah it's pretty interesting yep so uh i guess what i was trying to get at is like in the event that the so if the data query on the client takes 30 seconds and it turns out that it's not real time data and that can be therefore can be cached. I agree. You have the architecture set up, just cache that response at the edge and then boom, it'll be a lot faster. Um, or you could even go further and do what we do in Ember map, right? Which is like, um, instead of like 
keep delivering the app shell and just make that initial data request fast, just basically embed it in, let the thing know ahead of time even, right? That's like a server-side generation kind of thing. We just know um, that we can go ahead and like pre-render this thing. It's still put it at the edge. It's just like you're, you could optimize it even more what I'm saying. Yeah, get get initial yeah. props. Yeah, could, exactly. Could, the first time it runs could actually do a fetch request back to Virginia. However, the second it could remember that yes. in like literally in its module yes. scope. I, yes. I'm not sure if there's like a sandbox or, or you know to prevent data leakage here. But assuming there's not, just re- like set a variable like right. last fetch response equals this. Right. The next request that comes in, you just serve last fetch response and right. you don't actually make that fetch. Right. But, but again, but again, the the powerful thing here is that your architecture is already set up totally 100 to percent. no that's a great that's a great uh like victory that's a great success story for this architecture my question is is there a case where the client requests the data takes 30 seconds um and it's getting fresh data fresh ish maybe real time or whatever but it would be faster for the server to fetch there real time data so there what's is. the case there this is a, a um very theoretical argument that probably won't hold up but there so you can imagine that let's say you're using amazon Mm -hmm. to serve everything Mm -hmm. so from the edges from your central servers from your origins everything is in everything's on aws so in a world where the edge serves the app shell and then the client makes a fetch request back to like virginia to get the the data mm-hmm. you are now that fetch request is at the mercy of the clients like isp and it's just like in a generally in like a unauthenticated like it's just in a hostile environment yeah yeah that's basically yeah. sure you're con- you have more control over your servers yes. in general yes so. that fetch request could be coming from a cell phone on a mobile network where if it's running on the server that fetch request is coming from a server in a data center so yes absolutely more hostile environment and might require more round trips to get like signatures whereas your server could already have that let's say yeah who knows freaking knows what this isp is doing yeah 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 so the idea of the your edge code running its fetch request it's probably that network like if it's all on aws that network is probably optimized Mm, and so server to server yeah it's just like you know it's all within the same network right yeah now yeah again this is a very theoretical argument because that might not actually be faster Right. Um, but that, that would be an argument for why clients shouldn't fetch data. All their data. That's all their real-time data. Yeah. more. I, like, runtime, I actually runtime. like saying more hostile environment. Yeah. I think it actually describes yeah. the situation. Yeah. But. Well, it is. It's, le- it's way less privileged, right? Yeah. yeah. But I don't... I, mean, I wouldn't, it's, it's I wouldn't, actually not even that... I was just thinking the, the way to counter that is like the, the, the initial shell that's delivered... Uh, no, it is less. It is less privileged because the shell is being delivered at the edge, not by a server. It's being delivered by a server. Server at the edge, though. Okay, but but it can have like the session. Let's say it could have like the session, the shell, even if it's with this edge. But it couldn't have like session data that's like tied to like a like a real time thing. Yeah, if you need to like verify the session in the database to make sure person hasn't like, been fired. Or yeah, something exactly. Like that. Exactly, it doesn't have that. It doesn't that have you that need to go back. Right, because that's real time data. Again, I, we need a better na- name than real time. It's like runtime data. It's like basically real time is a constraint. You need to, you need to, you cannot you do not accept stale data here. Is what we're talking about when we say real time, right? Yeah. So, in the event that the data query that's taking thirty seconds, the real time data needed relies on some privileged information. 
if you had the architecture where you had like a rail server that was distributed you could imagine it having secrets or something like that that would make that thing take 15 seconds instead of 30 seconds or whatever and so even though you're not taking advantage of the edge it's actually faster because i know i, I but thinking about the real but, world but apps yeah again this is like uh, this argument just won't hold up but like what about like uploading something to like what about i mean uploading something to s3 like we just i mean we treat we treat so you would get the signature yeah you would get the from the server but it's real-time signature so it would have to go anyways it would have to go to or origin well this no this is actually a great example of 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 what you were saying before it's something that you can start off with the client is going to get the signature to upload from s3 to the it's going to go all the way back to virginia to get that signature right because you have one single app server that can sign stuff right um and then it uploads S3. Maybe that's a little slow because you have to go from like Japan, Australia, yeah, yeah Japan mm-hmm. to. But you can always optimize this where you start shipping your um, your your server code that can that can generate signatures. Privileged, privileged server code. Yeah, you can start shipping that to the edge at some point, right? So we can start off by. So saying, there's privileged server code that is stateless. It doesn't need the database, a central database, correct, right? Like generating They're, signature, like yes. generating a signature. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is something that that client code will never have, correct? But that also is not in the same category as the kind of question: Is Ryan still employed here? That's a centralized yes. database question that cannot be replicated across the edge, right? And this if it's real time, and this goes back to cap theorem, right. right? So interesting. So yeah, yeah. So the argument would be: start start with this architecture where you you start with edge deploys everywhere and only get talk in, to origin get as initial, needed right get initial props basically always returns nothing right and then as you need to speed things up you can start using get initial props right and or and, as you need real time if once you need real time data um oh yeah yeah get because get initial props is the, right right exactly so just do it from your um your client code do off it okay and that's how yeah and that which is basically how we've been building you don't need SSR. ssr i mean that's if you think about how we've been building mbraps for the last six years um i mean all all like to be fair all SPAs. all sbas yeah but it's just that yeah that's the deploying other app servers around the world has been part of making apps fast for a long time so to realize that maybe that's not what you need is interest is, is the interesting part of all this there there are other things here where we are there are other reasons to SSR that are beyond speed. So even if your site is slow, you still want like links to look good on Twitter and in Slack. So you need SSR for that. Yeah, but that's more like SSG, right? Well, oh, you're saying no, real-time real time data yeah, to if SSR. I, if I have yeah. like a, a URL that's yeah, yeah, like yeah. post slash post ID, right. I need to go. My server you need a block on the able, server rendering it. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, my yeah, server yeah, needs yeah. to be able to generate that. Um, again, though, this is yeah. Like, so you can't take advantage of edge and CDNs. We can't well, take advantage can, no, of no, CDNs, but you can take advantage of edge. No, edge. you can. You can take advantage CDN. of edge. You just you would ca- you need to like be thinking of caching at that point. So when you're yeah 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 yeah. When if, if the data needed to generate the, the to SSR is real time, it's the same problem. You roll back to the same right. problem. And when I say caching, I mean all forms of caching from um, like that your node edge code can mm-hmm. remember that mm-hmm. like post id one has this these og tags mm-hmm. to um 
you have a database that's that's meant to be accessed by edge servers. Yeah. I'm putting both yeah, those yeah, things yeah, in yeah, the same yeah, category. Yeah, Even though yeah. one is like really low level yeah, and the yeah, other yeah, is like yeah, super yeah, abstract. Yeah. Cause they still, yeah, they, they have to do with the data frequency and, and the fact that you're allowing users, clients to access data that's old, but that's yes, okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. Right. Um, pretty interesting. See, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of like this, like this is making me excited about, um, why not adopt this approach? Even if we never, ever, ever use get initial props. Right. Because you're just, why not adopt this? Like, mm -hmm. is there any downside? Um, you get server side rendering, your client can still fetch data. And if your server side rendering depends on something like the current user, mm -hmm your server side rendering just basically there's like if statements in your JSX that just make sure you get an app shell. Right. There's, there doesn't right. seem like a downside to right. like, and again, as we, the apps we built with Ember, we always put them on a CDN. And so it's just that usually they have a white screen because we like block on the initial application hook or something like that, but we don't have to. That's just a, that's just like a, if you look at the architecture. Yeah. 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 We, we deploy from, cdn but we don't ssr from cdn right which so we can't app shell right 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 so we get destroyed in like the the quote like time to first meaningful paint where like a now app a next app would just destroy us because they get instant i mean not instant if it was cached at if the if it was cached if the initial request was cached no walk me through this so ember map start a brand new ember app for embermap.com and the homepage queries the latest 10 videos right yeah we built it we built an ember app model hook on the application route does a store.findall movie list of 10 so filter by 10 so we are we have a rails app and we have an ember no, app. No, our edge server serves that ember app so we build the ember app we deploy it to a CDN, assets to the, edge. to the edge it goes out so our, our the time to first byte Super fast. Someone in Thailand clicks embermap.com. Super fast because they, they, they get it served, served off a toaster in the neighbor's apartment. Right. <laughs> That's how efficient our CDNs are. <laughs> um, however, now they're going to execute that Ember yeah. app and they're going to hit that model yeah. hook. And that model hook is going to be a fetch to API slash movies. Yeah. And now maybe through proxies yeah. or just through a direct call, yeah. that thing now has to go back to Virginia. Yeah. And so while that request is going to Virginia and then coming from Virginia back to, to Japan, the screen is white. Right, 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 right. So we have no, now we So could, we have to avoid the router or blocking promise on the router. Yeah, take, take some time to build a loading template, right? We, right, like we have, to, template, we have yeah. to actually yeah. think about what we're going to do during, during this. And, yeah, and yeah. The, I mean, you would in any app, I yes, guess. Yeah, loading template, that's fine. Right. Ember has APIs for that, that's fine. So you build a loading template. So that's so, basically, yeah. So you get the basically instant render of the yeah. loading template yeah. and then slow render of the um, the data fetch. Right. Now, in the next case, the next case is going to be very similar mm -hmm. where you go to the server mm -hmm. and you get back HTML, but you only get back as much HTML that your app can generate on the server. And since we're not doing data fetching on the server, we're going to start with the, the thing that you started off this conversation with. Mm -hmm. The client is going to fetch all the data. Mm -hmm. So you only get, you get back an app shell. So that's super fast. And then maybe your app shell can say like, oh, if, um, you know, you, you're, 
you, you get back an app shell and then your code runs on the client and that generates a loading template because mm -hmm. the co code on the client is going to have an effect that does a fetch mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to Virginia, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. come back and you get all the data. Mm -hmm. So I think like the actual movies will appear at the exact same time. Yeah. Yeah. However, I think in the next case, you will see a paint slightly sooner than in the Ember case. Because in the Ember case, you have to download all the JavaScript and start running all the JavaScript to get the loading screen. Mm -hmm. But in the next case, you can start rendering the loading screen right away because that HTML is generated on the server. Oh, oh, because it's uh, 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 you have a server at the edge that can generate static, yes. non-real-time data. Oh, okay, I see, I see. So now, so this is this is this is okay. I understand. I understand. You're not only get, you're not just deploying things to CDN static assets to CDNs. You literally have servers running at the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but the but the point is that for non real time data, you have servers yeah. running at the edge, yeah. and the servers aren't doing all they're doing. Is, yeah, like we can just make, yeah, they're doing static things. It's, yeah, they're like static servers. Yeah, they're they're yeah, it's pretty cool. And then yeah, you're already at a point where you could actually. The nice thing is that the architecture is ready for you to do things yes. like cache of fast boot resp data response that is from origin but expires in a day at the edge already. Whereas we had to basically write our own node servers to do all that and figure out to deploy them. I mean, are our we, nodes is our node layer deployed? Uh, like yeah. it's not. Yeah, because that would be hard. I mean, that, that's yeah. like more work. Like, how do you even do that? We we no we we the the, the funny thing is we could do that, but our hosting provider doesn't. Um, uh have such an offering that we can take advantage of yeah so um that was a lot of words to to, <laughs> to be uh to avoid saying no, 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 <laughs> yeah no, yeah no, sure no, sure because i uh, no we, i understand i understand we, we use Hiro we use heroku and yeah. heroku is amazing yeah yeah and, and i love them they're not th they're heroku is optimized for for rails apps that need to access a database a central database a central database so this idea of being able to take your your dynos or your containers and just deploy them around the world around the world doesn't make sense built for Heroku's customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yep. Um, I'm making a lot of assumptions. Sure, there, sure, but sure, like sure. Just just knowing what I know of Rails just doesn't make sense. Sure. Maybe in a world where we start using databases that are distributed and they have the same guarantees that Postgres has, mm -hmm. we'll start to see more of like the Rails Heroku providers. Um, Adopting this model. Yeah, where you can take a Rails app, put it in a container, deploy it anywhere, and there's just a guarantee because the database service you're using is always going to have a local... Yeah, 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 because the, right, because the Rails app server is not distinguishing what kinds of the static work it does from the runtime work it does. Yeah. Whereas, like, in this case, you do have that boundary, and that boundary is your JSX code versus get initial props so that's a hard boundary between dynamic and static work that needs to be done uh on whether it's on an edge or, or not client yeah. versus edge yeah yeah exactly so this goes back to what i was saying where when we started this podcast off i was saying well there are use cases where yeah. you wouldn't use next yeah. but now i'm actually are there use cases where like would it be bad this build? seems like a good boundary to know about from the beginning of their app development. Well, my question is, would it be bad to build the next app that you never did get it? You never used. Yeah. Yeah. Would you props? have been better off using something other architecture? Some other, yeah. But maybe not. I mean, I mean maybe you're it's gonna, fine because you're already going to be deploying it. I mean, is there any downside? Like what? What have you done extra work that you don't need? Have you made your architecture more complicated? Now, 
okay, what about, um, so what about the constraints that make this all work? What about the routing stuff? Cause isn't there some routing constraints once you use that you have to, um, comply with once you use next, for example, like the nested routing stuff and the fact that like everything's code split yeah, yeah, and yeah, bundled yeah. by yep. route by URL, isn't your URL handled by, by Zite and now, as opposed to like something like react router. Yep. Because they don't want your application to be ever be a bottleneck. So I'm, also, wait, wait, what about I, rights? So yeah, let's talk about. Can I just first. make like a statement here? Yeah. Can I just say that is, those are, not, get initial props and having your all your routes be mandatory code split, not mutually. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. They're not. They're, they're not intrinsically dependent on each other. Right. Or, so the code splitting is you should be able to have one without the other. Yeah. So the code splitting is something that um, a further optimization decision that they impose that they impose because they believe this is the fastest way to to render an application. Which mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. sure that's mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. um, okay, but, but I think you can still do the you can opt out of that route splitting thing. Get a single SPA the way Mirage.js is built, uh, JS.com is built, and use Re React Router and have every route render the exact same bundle of application code and have React Router do switches based on the URL and then render the right component. And still have... Still have edge deploys. And, and still have get initial props. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you can decide what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do it static, get initial... Like at the edge, get initial props or that, um, block on going to origin mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, so that's cool. Okay, what about writes? Let's think of this architecture makes writes harder because this is what we've been talking about reads the whole time, mm -hmm. and it makes sense. But um, I, I um, okay, let me just start being dismissive, and then you can uh, correct me. <laughs> <laughs> I think with writes, it's it's first of all like speed with writes. I think is less important, just in general. So when I click the submit button on a form, if it takes 750 milliseconds versus 75 milliseconds versus, I don't, versus a link, clicking a link and having it take yeah, 750 yeah. milliseconds. I think there's like a really, yeah, I think the form just most application developers don't need to be concerned with that. Um, I think it also probably really depends on like your, your data requirements and your, your, your database architecture. Like if you actually have to do like Slack, if you're building Slack, 750 milliseconds wouldn't really be acceptable for a chat message. Yeah. I was thinking more along the lines of like, if I'm going to write something, um, if I have to go back to the database and confirm before yeah. I enter this thing here that like you haven't been fired yeah, and this thing already hasn't been entered and all this other data is correct, then that's all always going to have to go back to origin it is it's always going to have to go back so to let's take that that's a hard case though signing up for a new user and making sure that your email doesn't already exist yep. in the system so that is a hard case so let's think about that and if this architecture would have any effect on that those code paths so if you had a rails app and you did that okay you just check the database boom um what about the fact that well, we'll more. let's talk, the user clicks a submit button in Tokyo. Yeah. It goes to a Rails app. Rails app handles it, checks the database, says everything's okay, mm -hmm. generates a response and sends it back to Tokyo. Now that's one Rails app. Let's say you go the TED route where we have eight Rails apps around the world. Um, 
So it has a copy of the data, but again, this is a write case and we can't accept any stale data. So even though you have a database copy and a Rails server running over here, you still have to block and go back to origin, right? To check the central thing. Yeah, and Rails, you can do like Rails folks that do this. So you can have like two database adapters, one for reads, one for writes, and the, the read one is hooked up locally. The write one goes to Virginia. And and by the way- That makes sense. That this, you... this is also back to like, you can do a million things. Yeah, here. it's kind of like Daddy. It's tons like, of it's custom not, architecture. There's yeah, no, it, there, you're not gonna find this in the Rails guides. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. So you're blocked, anyways. Um, okay. So uh, what was I gonna say? This is an interesting one. Let's take the case where um, you have one Rails server, one in the whole world. It's running out of Ember Maps office, right? Oh. So it takes thermometer in the office. Yeah, exactly. Um, or just user sign up, right? Cause the unique email is an interesting thing, right? Uh, so Japan creates an account. It's all happening like request response cycle, one single source of truth, one database. So it checks it and is able to do it. But now someone else, right? Makes a request like half a second after that user was created. So this is an interesting one. And so they're going to see something, um, fresh and it's going to be accurate because it's coming from the single central data store the new user was just created over here so that read is up to date so this is the thing where it kind of breaks down if you have take the edge deploy zeit architecture situation you're basically saying basically in order to take advantage of the zeit architecture you need reads to be able to be stale and so if you're you have a situation no 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 no, no. Reads, if you have a situation where a read needs to be real time it's basically basically if either uh, a write or no, a read needs to be real, basically all writes need to be. There's no big. There's no big advantage. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But I also want to say, who cares? I mean, that's there's the no point. big disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. I mean, that's the, that is the question. So why not? Yeah, I'm trying to. I, I, well, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm trying to find is there a dis is there a is disadvantage it, a, yep, yep. for situations where even where. But no, but would it make it more complex? If you had a read that needed to be real time, let's say that was based on like new users that are just signing up, um, then that would just mean that would be true regardless, and it wouldn't be at serve at the edge. It would it would be it would be generated at the origin. And yeah, it's just the truth. One I mean, is a has, one is a request response cycle yeah. that gets a full HTML payload from a server, a rail server that lives at origin. The other is a fetch request that gets data from a server that lives at origin. They both have like the same latency profile and that they have to both have to go back to origin. I mean, isn't this like Git? Isn't like, isn't like Git? Like Git lets you do everything you possibly can at the edge and then like operations that require you to go to origin like are blocked by that. But that's just because that's the nature of those operations. And that's why Git is like fast for most of what you do because you, you're no. running at the edge. Yeah, you are. Yeah, to get. But by the way, every time we talk about this, it's always awesome to be able to tie this back. I know. Well, I'm, I was already thinking about. I was again. I was as I was trying to think of disadvantage. I was like, what if you had a Rails app server in a database and you were able to do like log stuff at the edge? But then that's the same thing. You can still deploy that to the edges. Get, um, it's just yeah. Get get lets you do all reads and writes from the edge. So you clone a repo, and then every operation you run on that repo is is that repo on your computer and git basically says doesn't let you do all operations continue okay you can't you can't push a new commit to master 
for that you need origin. That's an example of a but, real time but, 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 needed. But, but, but. You you can't you can commit to master. Yeah, you can't commit to origin, to origin master. Right, yeah, right, right. so that's like a that's an example in the set of all operations you can do right, okay. that is like needs real time. Sure. Yeah, but you can you can. It's an important do, one. <laughs> you can do you can do all reads and writes on your local sure get repo, sure, and sure. then you can at a later point push sure. and resolve conflicts. But you lose a real time. What we, for this podcast, yeah. what we've been calling real time data. So, for example, if I check out a get repo, you check out a get repo, you start editing yours. I'm not going to see those. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's a great point. So the the, the designers and creators of Git evaluated the trade off and said. We're going to sacrifice real timeness for um, the ability to work at the edge because uh, it's way faster. So right. yeah, that's 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 a decision you can make, and you can see how that can influence your app's architecture right. and your or your tool's architecture. Um, it's pretty interesting. So like, but it's really cool that like imagine that by default. So I'm going to make. I'll try to tie this into site. Imagine by default every get command you ran. It was like SVN and it went back to yeah. origin yeah. and it tried to run that on origin. Yeah. And if it was somehow invalid, you would get an error. Yep. Imagine if that was a default. Right. And then as you want to make these trade-offs, right. you can then layer it on. So you can say, ah, okay, so everything's going to be uh, default, go to origin. But if you run uh, git commit with a message uh, WIP, I'll just do it locally, right? And you, as a like you as an application developer, get to make get to carve out those pieces that you want to be local, right? That's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, yes, very cool. Um, I still feel like there's a case where I mean the signature case or the 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 fact that. The privileged case again. You still have privilege. You can still have privileged servers at the end. They just can't be. Um, they can't rely on runtime data. They need. I'm just trying to think of an example, where like, well, I mean, the TED architecture wins. Well, let's be. I mean, okay, let's just like be uncharitable, right? Yeah. Um, I'm saying like, is there a downside to this? And like, yeah, there is a downside that you're locked into Zite. Yeah, yeah, right. But that's so, fine. No, that's yeah, that's. But sure. we can start there, yeah, <laughs> and expand outwards, right? That's like the most uncharitable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, it's more. But the more interesting conversation is around: should you start working from in an app with clear boundaries between what is static and what is dy like dynamic? Okay, right? here's a here's a hard to do. Um, you you your data needs to be real time. But you also have to server render for um, Slackbot and Twitterbot. Yeah. So now you need to basically have some sort of cache for bots. Yeah. So that you can actually get the SSR layer working and so that your edge yeah. servers are doing fetches to get data. But then for users, it, it needs to be real time so that um, you you basically have a whole nother code path where all the users are running JavaScript and fetches on the client. Yeah. So that could be like, at that point, why not just use Rails? You were saying, you were saying, you were saying the users need real time, but you're, what you meant was the Slack needs real time. No, no, the users need real time. Okay. And, and Slack needs OG. Wait, but cat. Wait, users need real time yeah. data. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. And Slack needs, um, users need real time data and Slack bots need, server generated yeah. pages yeah 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 so i guess 
what does that look, look like, like with the rails app well what does that look like with the next app like all you have get initial props it does fetch and you just do server-side rendering like how would you do like how would you build this as a next app and you're saying you're saying for the case where you want to speed it up for the bots you have some logic and get initial props or you don't run get initial props if the referrer is like a reddit yeah, bot or something user, like that yeah, yeah, whereas exactly. if you were writing a rails app you wouldn't be thinking about any of this because right. every request would be served exactly the same way right right and and there'd be no for the user's case there'd be no difference in latency profiles now of course right. of, of, okay the time to first byte would be faster no the, in the yeah, edge case it would but, be faster but, than the edge case that's important it would be faster the time to first byte yes would. yes so app shell would be faster yes, but yes. like actual data would yeah yeah, yeah. Like correct, latency correct, correct. for but like, you get the app shell you get the app shell yeah, yeah. Yeah, what can be deployed to the edge is going to be by default. That really is okay. the benefit of this entire architecture. But but in this, like, so the the pro is you get the app shell faster. Yeah. So looks better for your users. Yeah. The con is that you have more code. Paths. You have code like paths, right? Yeah. Right, right. You're so if you were just it. writing a Rails app, you you the con is you don't get the app shell, but the pro is you're serving the same content to everyone. If you're just writing a Rails app, by default, real time data is not a question. That's why when you're building like an admin, it's yeah, like, a great, it a just works. Yep. And the question is, um, when you're, when you're building an average app, how much of the data should needs to be real time? Are users expecting to be real time? Um, but even in the case with the Zite architecture, you just need to be thinking about that from the beginning. But the argument is like, it's actually good to, because like, then you just get to speed up the things that do not need to be real time from the beginning. They're going to stay fast and the pages that need to go to origin can and they just do so by being re requesting it from the client from the client yep. and um it's simpler because it's just yeah also too like this would have made ember map a lot easier oh for ember map it's like a no-brainer but I, really the hard one is like a product like an internal back office tool like some of the projects we worked on where it's like why is this not updated we didn't have that because we always wrote it this is where those problems would surface. But again, it wouldn't surface because you would just say, if you try to do that, if you had a dashboard, let's say, an, oh, let's say you have a productivity tool that has like companies, users, whatever, subscriptions, and you're just basically your bread and butter back office app. And um, all of that is real-time data for, again, in the, in the description of this, in, in the definition that we've had for this podcast, which is uh, when someone clicks on products, they want to see the latest list of products. When they click users, they want to see the latest version of the user. It has to come from origin. It has to. No way around it. Um, then you build a dashboard, you know, and the dashboard is like doing this massive query, um, and which happens a lot in these kinds of pages, and you want to start caching it because it's like looking at all this data. Um, so the dashboard, you just want it to be, yeah, so maybe it's not, if it's not real time, Let's say if the dashboard is not real time, mm -hmm. if you have a single origin, you would be able to use get initial props. It's yep. a really nice, graceful thing. You say, let's speed up this one. Okay, this dashboard component, get initial props. And now you can make your edge server cache that. Let's say it goes to origin the first time, or let's say it pre computes it on deploy sure, or whatever sure, it is, yeah. right? Um, now, boom, dashboard blocks on get initial props. And uh, eventually it's uh, all there at the edge and um, it's stale, but uh, that's fine. You can decide when to bust that cache and uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Whereas if you were in a rails land, you um, could cache it, but the caching would have to take place on origin. Right. And so, and all the other, yeah, right. Exactly. So you, now you have that extra hop 
and that extra hop could be like halfway around the world. Wait, so okay, let me, let me think because I, I yeah. So all the other pages are real time, so for effectively the user seeing it at the same time, except now the dashboard is like computed and derived, and it can be a little bit of sta- sale. And um, yeah, you're like you're not really in a spot where you can just take advantage of that fact. Like this is a new fact that this part of the app users would rather have much faster and stale than slower and real time. And so when you run into those situations, like what is the path to that, to um, taking advantage of that fact? Mm -hmm. And with like a Rails app or the way we built Ember Map, like there's a lot of work to get there. No, 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 no. But Rails, Rails, Rails can cache that. Yeah. And Rails, Rails has awesome caching mechanisms. So like Rails can cache that. But if you're in Tokyo, you still have to go to To the Rails server. Whether to get that cache yes, version, yes. so like, uh, yeah, 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 and then yeah. so so Tokyo goes yeah, to yeah, yeah. Um, Virginia, Virginia back to Tokyo. So, if, so you don't have to talk to the database. You don't have to talk to the, yeah. There's no database, yeah. but so, still so, we're in, we're yeah. in a single yeah. origin Rails world. So if you if you were to put a bunch of Rails servers around the world, that would be effectively the same thing. I mean, that is the servers at the edge. It's just yeah, that yeah, Rails exactly. is not built really right. to do There's, that. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. You can't really run the Rails servers at the edges without a database. So now you have to set up a database, whereas you don't actually want that right here. And you, you really just want to push out this cache value. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, you yeah. just yeah. Also, also, of course, of course, you, you can, can do this, do with, this Rails, with Rails, but you just have to make a, a sure. bazillion sure. architecture sure. decisions right. that are going to be different from everyone else's. And also, you haven't been thinking about or yeah, been yeah. forced to think about this from the beginning. Whereas with the Zeit model, it's literally you're starting from. Um, this from the beginning in the sense that if you just say uh, real-time requests are made from our component code all of the parts of the react app that are static are just static by the fact that they are and they're yep. going to be compiled down into javascript and html css we're going to get them server rendered statically and so so it's going to be a server generated app so that a lot of the loading and all that stuff is going to shell as much of the app as possible is going to go there and then when you get to this point where you need this dashboard component you want it to be cached you want to make that trade-off take away the real time give me some faster speed boom i've got get initial props and i can import you know my special caching module right and use that and get initial props and pretty awesome yeah it's really cool and the question the, the yeah we can keep is it's like deliciously down, is nerdy there, too. Is there a downside <laughs> to doing this? And I, I, I mean, if I like, one way to test this is you write a next app and you never use get initial props. Is your app worse off? Right. And I, the answer is probably no. Yeah. I mean, just from like an architecture point of view, right. not from a like vendor lock in or anything like that. I have a question. Can you use create React app with Next JS? Because like Create React app gives you a bunch of I think Next.js test and, sets up. They maintain a bunch of things. I think Next.js is equal to Create React. Does app. Next give you testing and stuff? Doesn't give you anything like that, right? Uh, I I haven't I haven't hit anything like I haven't needed to do anything like that, so I, I don't know the answer. Um, I think you can. What we, what we've been talking about this episode because is both Next and Now. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right, I know. So the, the, I guess it's like if you had a create React app, how would you tell it how to server render it? Yeah, that's up to. I mean, you would. So you that's would, why you want to use Next because they already just they're just yeah, gonna say yeah, exactly. the components here are we're gonna server render them. Yeah. So like they don't run use effect on the server. Correct. In 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 SSR mode, use effect does it's not pretty run. cool. 
Th- this is an interesting thing. Also, we were talking about the Ember model, yeah, which yeah, has some is, benefits here. Right. This is an interesting thing between the Ember and Server Render. everyone else. Also, yeah. I think the Ember model is better. It's really cool. But let me... Um, all the others are like... I've heard people in the fast boot refer to them as like single shot rendering. Yeah. So this idea that as soon as you start generating HTML, you can just pipe it right out to the client. Okay. So you run... Imagine you have a template that's mm-hmm. like component A, component B, component C... As soon as component A renders its HTML, you can send that out to the client. Now, if component C has like an asynchronous code, has an effect in it that goes up and changes context that would change the rendering of component A, it's like too bad. Right. It's it's just single shot. Um, So that's why use effect doesn't run. Interesting. Or anything asynchronous. Yeah. Wouldn't have a chance to. to, Yes. Or anything anything asynchronous. Now, Server-side rendering in React components can have a static property that fetches their data, similar to get initial props. So in what in 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 React in server-side what's it rendering, called? I I don't know oh. data, something like this that. is something that's part of React. Yes, part of server-side rendering in React. Okay, interesting. So so you can do that, um, and it's like one, it's like the model hook basically. Yeah, but you're not using that to build your client app. Well, that's that's that's, that's so where this is why the Ember model is really is so cool. much better. Yeah. So Ember actually runs your app, and at some point decides I can flush this out to the client. Now, of course, of course, there are trade offs here. You can't start shipping your Ember HTML until you've rendered your very last component, mm-hmm. because the rendering of your very last component could have changed the mm-hmm. rendering of your first component. Um, so this kind of puts us in like a weird spot where we don't run fast boot at runtime because it's slow and um, slow for things we're doing. It's slow for things fast boot's doing, but we um, we cache our responses because we don't want to run fast boot at runtime. And I think one of the hold on, but I don't think that matters for the purposes of this discussion because if you were using Next and the Zite architecture, you wouldn't want the servers to to run the react code on the server i mean it doesn't really matter but you would probably listen hold on let, let me explain let me finish yeah, yeah by definition the code you're running on the edge is static and doesn't depend on runtime data so why wouldn't you Wait, have that, a caching layer and, no it does no it, it doesn't explain the, the by definition what we said is like the code you're pushing to the edges is static it doesn't depend on runtime. It's an app shell, right? The app shell. No, so, no, but okay. But I know it, it runs in a server in a node no, no, server, but it could. It could depend on runtime data, and and I have the opportunity as an app developer to make that decision. No, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, which is a beauty. Which is hold, like, hold, hold on, but but um, I'm getting I'm getting confused. There's there's so many models. So where okay, so if you need runtime data, you you define get initial props, and then now you have props that will be given to your component as it gets server rendered. Uh, but, oh, no, no, no. But that's not runtime data, dude. That's not runtime data. You wouldn't do runtime data. Remember, you keep the runtime data. We need a better word. No, no, no. A runtime data. Real time, real time, real time. Real time data. Yeah, real time. But, but you, you could, do not put the real time data requirements and get initial props. If you want to, you can. It's, you, uh, have, you can. No, but you then you to. would be blocking. You would not get the app shell until that thing resolves. The whole point is that you split. Correct. Wait, split wait, those. wait. Correct. But you might need that and you this is what uh, this no, is no no, no 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 yeah no no no, no. imagine no. you have a block you're rendering a blog post you need to render og tags it's a requirement it has to look good in slack 
So you would have get. Ah, uh, you're saying you don't have an opportunity for the client to make a request or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, that's fine. Okay, OG tags is fine. I get that. Okay, there's that's, a million things like this. I mean, OG tags is like the the lowest level. But that's not what's interesting about the model hook case with Ember being able to pause server rendering uh, and not doing one shot. That's Correct. what I'm talking Correct. about. So, considering that case. Okay, let's 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. let's go back. So ember model hook can block you were saying um the reason we don't you were saying that the reason we don't run fast boot at runtime is because it's slow for a variety of reasons my point was that that doesn't matter for the purposes of this discussion because uh when you server render you're doing it because you don't need it to be fast because if you sorry there's You're going to cache it anyways, so it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter that fastboot is slow for us because we cache it anyways. Yes. And if it was, if we couldn't cache it because the data requirements were real time, we would fetch it on the client because of that. that that's the whole Zeit architecture. I know, but there is a middle in between. Yeah. Where you say I need real time data and I need to generate it on the server, and it needs to be quick. I mean, you always you always pay a latency cost when you're running real time. When, when the constraint is real time, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, imagine, yeah, or, or client, be, yeah, yeah. The I think my point here is that the the way that React server renders is going to uh, always be faster than the way that Ember server renders because React basically single shot. However, the Ember app, the Ember server rendering architecture, I think it's better because it allows you as an Ember developer to architect your app in one single way. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. So so you get to you get to write just one single code path and that yeah. runs on both the server yeah. and the client and you don't have to say, "Ah, if I'm running on the server, now I need a think about how like the props get to this component." Um mm -hmm. so I think the Ember way is the Ember way is more of a black box. It's mm -hmm. it's literally visit this URL. Mm -hmm. Uh, wait until and get, give me the response back <clears throat> where the react way is not like visit this url and get the html output the react way is like render these components and um whatever they render give to me i have a question let's say we were trying to take advantage of Zite architecture using ember um now that we're talking about this distinction between uh like real-time data and non-real-time data um, like stale data, let's just say for purposes, right? Stale data and real-time data, right? So think about embermap.com. Homepage is all mostly actually, mostly driven by stale data, um, data that can be stale um, in the sense that our videos don't change often enough that we are okay serving stale data on the homepage with the exception of the, the, the header, which is derived from the current session, uh, which has is, is real-time data. Yep. Um, that's a constraint. So Let's take the case where we're just working with stale data. Um, you put it in the model hook. So my question is, if you want to take advantage of the Zite architecture, would you ever put, what would what goes in the model hook? Because normally the model hook is like, what data do you need to fetch to generate this page? But really you want to be thinking about it differently than that. You don't want to be thinking about it if it's... No, I like the model hook. I like the model hook because it's what data do I need to fetch to generate this page regardless of the context that I'm running in. 
So where if you think about you see how I'm going with this? So Yeah, you're saying how would let's we, say the model hook of the homepage is fetch the latest ten things, which can be stale, but then the model hook for your settings page is fetch the current user, which is real time data. Yep. So how does that see how that there's no the architecture, the tooling has no comprehension of the fact that the one can be cached and the other cannot. So how do you how do you do that? Whereas in can, a, I, can I ask in some how, questions? Yeah, yeah I, I, I like where you're going. Yeah. Um, so you're saying you have like a black box Ember app and you just say visit slash home um, or visit slash settings. Mm-hmm. Well, so the way that, that we would do this is home would make a fetch request to somewhere. Mm-hmm. And in the model hook? The model hook. Mm-hmm. And then settings. So visit slash wouldn't return until all the data was there. All the data was and, there, yeah. And, 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 and therefore, the entire response could be cached by whoever is calling visit slash, right? Okay, well, continue. Well, well, well maybe, maybe the, I'm gonna like hand wave here, but like you could imagine the model hook does a fetch and that fetch doesn't have to go to origin. That fetch, yeah, 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 sale data, yeah, the, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yes, that yes. Fe- so you could imagine that fetch is like ah, it's all instant. the fetch is also cached. Yes, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Now, again, hand wave sure, it because sure. there's some magical sure. caching layer sure, here. Sure. Now with the settings route that doesn't even matter because you could it could go to origin, but um, the the whole response there, yeah, whatever, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yes, it doesn't matter. In the settings route, yeah. the model hook would say uh, if I'm running on the server basically like return null uh-huh um, okay otherwise okay return the current so that, user okay that's and then that's the way around this yeah but that's kind of weird that's not you've lost this item potence isomorphism or whatever you're yeah, talking yeah, no, about no no you're you're, you're you're yeah you're right because now you have and it, that is true because in our app we have uh if if we are running in fast boot let's take this code path if we're not and maybe that's not terrible. Let's compare it to the Zeit case. So now let's do this for the Zeit case, right? So you're building a homepage that can be powered by stale data. So what do you do? Um, get initial props basically is get 10 latest videos from cache mm-hmm. and hand wave. Mm-hmm. Maybe that goes to origin. Maybe that reads from cache. Right. And it always does a server render. Right. With with uh, data. However, how long that data took to get, we don't know. We don't care. Yeah. It's stale. It could be cache of the edge. Yep. So it's the whole thing right. can be cache of the edge. Now with a settings page, yep. get initial props basically doesn't you don't fetch use data. You don't use so it. So now you force the client yeah. to fetch and yeah. therefore you can rely on the client going to origin, always validating right. the user, always validating the request right. headers and all that. To take this another way, but maybe it's the mm-hmm. same situation, but maybe how would you normally build this, right? In the React case, like you're just working on the homepage and you say, okay, use effect. Um, so maybe this is not being super charitable with Ember. Maybe this is actually, think about this. So let's just walk through this. Let's build a homepage. All right, I need to fetch some data. All right, use effect. Um, get the latest 10 things. Um, do, do, do. Okay, boom. Build the settings page. Use effect. Fetch the current server, current user. Render the page. Do, do, do. Okay, good. You deploy that, it works. Later, it's like, all right, the homepage can be sped up because it's stale. All right, now what's the refactor look like? Um, so what do you do? Do you copy the fetch to get initial props? Do you you pull out the use effect? Yeah, probably pull out the use effect. Use and like isomorphic fetch so and, they have like the same, mm-hmm. quote, API. And then call, abstract it into a function mm-hmm. called 
get movies mm-hmm. and have a use effect that calls get movies as well as get initial props that calls get movies and then like props um, by the yeah we by don't the way know. We i am sure yet. in the real world it is way more complicated because yeah just because like it's uh servers are privileged so you can make more assumptions yeah yeah and, yeah it's not but yes it, like in this situation ideally isomorphic fetch and you're just saying fetch and right. that from your components point of view that's all it needs to know right props up movies doesn't care where it got it from yep. or whatever something like yep. that okay so then that works and so your settings page is still real time but now you cache your home page in the ember case you're just building out the home page and um do 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 i need some data fetch it in the model hook render it cool Settings page, do do do, fetch some data in the model hook, build it up, render it out. Cool. All right, now let's make the home page fast. So okay. So this again, is, we're we're not like this is hard to do in Ember today, but Ember doesn't have to be because of Ember's architecture. If we're speaking about right. the architecture, right? So Fastboot has um, you can you can pass things into Fastboot. So we could pass in um, like like a hash that's like remember data for. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then, uh-huh. and then we could like the first time this, the, the, the fast boot server runs, runs on the homepage route, it fetches the data. And then like in after model, it says, if is fast boot, put this window, data, the window dot win- cache equals. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, yeah that's it, way hard. That's way harder. Than I know. Fact, yeah, I know. Yeah. And it doesn't have also, to be, but it is, it absolutely is. And also you have to set up a node server and run fast boot because there's, <laughs> this goes back to, there's a million architecture yeah. decisions you have to make. It's just like, like rail. It's the same thing with rail. Yeah, so yeah. you could do all this, but like, yeah, this is the beauty of the, now when I was comparing react, hold on, let me, let's yeah, keep yeah, yeah. walking through yeah. it. So, so, okay. So once you get the fast boot server. I just want to say we're at like an hour and 20 minutes. I, I love it because okay, I was like low energy. And then, and then I was like, we started talking about edge servers and who knew there's a back end developer hidden deep down inside this front end developer right here. So let's, let's finish it. So you want to cache the homepage. So you, you have to set up a fast boot server um, to run and um, you want to cache it. So, so first of all, you could deploy that node server all over the world, that fast boot server. Mm-hmm. And um, now the fast boot server doesn't run get initial props. It literally runs your Ember code. So you haven't changed any of your Ember code yet. So you run your Ember code and um, the first, and, and, and maybe you warm the cache or something like that, whatever. Somehow you get cache value, runs the Ember code, runs the home page, makes the data request to origin, but now it's cached all over the world. So and like every fast boot every instance, fast boot has-, instance has the stale homepage data, which is good for this case because you want it to be fast. You don't care it's stale. So um, that's great. And you have not had to change your Ember code a- at all. It's still model hook fetching data. Yeah. Now you do have to change your Ember code in the sense that like in after model, you actually have to take the model and put it in the cache. Well, the, the fast boot app server could cache. The fast the boot. The node code. The node code knows no, 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 no. The, the node code. You wouldn't want to put routing stuff in your node code. Yeah, the node code. There's a very strict boundary where the node code just says, "Generate me a fast boot re- and give me the HTML for this URL with these." Let's HTML say you make requests. up a node server, fast boot server, it caches everything. Okay, it just caches everything, which is basically what like the Zite but servers do. But the fast boot server, no, 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 because the fast boot server doesn't gets like HTML, gets like a string yeah. that it can cache. Yeah. Where Zite can, um, I think you have more control and that you can build your caching and get initial props so that some renders can. But let's take the easy case. Homepage is the same for everyone, can be cached, can be, it's stale, so it's cacheable. You you add fast boot server, node server 
to your architecture that serves up the Ember app and this homepage it caches okay. everything I that see. it gets from app.visit. Okay. So you're basically you're sticking I'm varnish. Going with this. Yeah, exactly. You're sticking varnish yes. in front of Fastboot. Yes. Okay. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Got gotcha. So okay. So you haven't had to change your Ember app code. So from that side, uh Ember wins in a sense, right? Because in the Zeit case, the next case, you had to change the effect. You had to take the data fetching code out of the effect. You had to put it in something, attach it to get yes, initial. Yeah, you had to change your act. You have you have two paths for data fetching. Yeah. Oh, could you change this? Because I just lost Did my I, one here. I just got yeah. really excited. Yeah. Slammed down. The... So okay, that's good. So the the Ember app code situation is ahead in this case. There's like four boxes here, right? You have the React app and the Ember app, and then below them you have the server-side changes that each architecture needs yep. as far as architecture goes, right? Okay, now let's talk about the settings page. So as it stands, you've just broken every route in your Ember app that depends on real-time data because the way you were nudged to build it and the way all the feedback you've gotten is that the model hook's gonna run every time. There's no caching, so caching doesn't break it, right? So what do you do in the Ember? You still have Varnish in front of everything. So what do you do to give the app shell to the users of the settings route as fast as possible and delay the request for the real-time data to the client? So maybe you move the data request that was in the model hook out of the model hook and you put it in a data loading component. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then everything else still works. Yes. And so that is the difference where in Ember, you can't take advantage of like the model hook anymore and the routing conventions. Um, but there's like good ways to fetch data from components uh, after the fact, so you're not going to block your fastboot server, and therefore any of the cat, any of the responses that it generates. You and then effectively, you do not need a runtime fastboot server um, in this very simplified world. I've painted it in the same way that the next one doesn't either, because yep. it just runs it yep. once to cache it and pushes the cache out to the edge. Yep. So. Um, it's pretty cool. Now, of course, if you happen to have a fast server at the edge, it is good. It, you, you can see in all the ways it would be very convenient to have that. The to fact that w to have a fast server at the edge. So what I'm saying is like we have a con hard constraint that we do not run fast boot at runtime. And it, there was maybe some things that would be convenient if we could. Um, whereas with the next case, like the API routes that are still st like stateless and st like uh still would have to go to origin if they needed to make a real-time data request can do other cool things at the edge and it's just nice that they can do yeah, that they and could you can like, they you could, could actually like sign, rely on that they could sign exactly. s3 uploads exactly we have no problem exactly a secret pushing the secrets to the edge. Exactly, yeah, exactly exactly yep um i mean i don't know like there's like databases now that, that yeah do that are distributed with an sql interface like that well i guess that's the dream is that it, it bends the trade-off when we're talking about stale versus real time maybe there's maybe that that thing is now even closer yep. and uh whereas with our architecture really if anything needs to be seen within the lat changes within the last like you know like on the settings page you'd want to know within the last like 10 seconds and that's already fast enough that you can't use the caching architecture so you have to you have to bail out and it's going to be slow right whereas maybe with the with some of the stuff with the next architecture if 10 seconds is okay staleness or eight seconds or seven seconds is okay you can actually still keep it fast um whereas with us it's like okay either you have like a super fast home page that's stale by i mean how long would it take to bust the cache of the home page and regenerate it and make it fast again um i think worst case is probably like five or six seconds because we we use like sidekick to 
coordinate this stuff. That's pretty good. So in Sidekick, I think default is like a five-second poll. And we're not warming pre-warming it, so the first request would be technically... Correct. So technically, you would need to include the first request in that time. You need to add it on top. Ah, uh, yes. You see what yes, I'm saying? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. How long so until the data the, changes and someone the gets cache. a fast homepage response? Right. So we would clear the cache. Clear the cache. And let's say, like, worst case, five seconds. Mm-hmm. And then a new request comes and in. And how long does it take to generate it? And sometimes those take, like, three seconds right. to, to generate. Right. So. so anything under eight seconds is going to be slow. It's going to be real time. Anything that's under eight seconds in Ember Maps architecture is considered real time and therefore is going to be slower. And anything that can be eight seconds or more stale can be very fast, which is most of the site, which is why it works well yes, for us. I see. Yep. Yep. And so maybe with some of this other stuff, you can say, okay, anything that's three seconds or less. I mean, that's eight seconds is already pretty fast. So yeah. And it's um, easy to opt out and get app shell loading template. Right. Um, and not and feel fast feel like a fast no i know but that's not the interesting case the interesting case is no no because the interesting case is like when i when i take an operation how long you're saying everything how real time does this data need to be how fresh does this data need to be that's what this is all about dude that's what this all boils down to because if the data can be a week old you can use architecture from 19 whatever right <laughs> 1900 you know 1930s. take oxes take ox and have them ship your app around the world <laughs> so it's all about uh, the good old days of the, web development. <laughs> uh, sally was a good ox if it, it all boils down to how fresh does this data have to be and when you're doing crud operations um it typically has to be well not always right i mean you can optimistic ui you can get. use get exactly you can use log based stuff to anticipate um but at the end of the day there are operations that basically need to go back to origin and therefore there's a certain amount of freshness that needs to be there and that that's what has an implication on all of these questions for your architecture and um the question is just what is the window for that and does the site yeah, the Zite architecture could potentially give you a shorter window where a bigger threshold. I think I'm following what you're saying. Yeah, I need to think about it more because a lot of this is just new thinking. The thing that excites me, this the thing that got me excited about this conversation is that I can get to, uh, I don't have to think about get initial props from the beginning. Yes. But well, it gives me a very, but I'm thinking about the fact that I do have get initial props so that one day I can start to add those into my app. For sure. It's, it's again, the reason I wanted to walk through the two examples was because um, it's like, yeah, what, um, what, um, which one is better? So, or which one is preferable, right? Right. In the Ember case, you are basically making changes when you have views that depend on real-time data in you're changing the ones that depend on real-time data in the zeit case you're changing the ones that depend on stale data so in the zeit case you start by default the client making all the requests which works for real-time data and when you want to cache something and make it fast you move it to get initial props in the ember case you start by making everything um, block on uh, the client does request it, but once you introduce a server, uh, the server requests it too. And so if a page can be um, cached, then you're ahead. And once it needs to be real time, then you have to move it out of the happy path of the app development. So 
when you when whoa, you move whoa, whoa, a request when you move a data request from the model hook is a is the happy path place to put data requests, right? Yes. So when you do that and then you add fast boot and caching layer, it works as long as you can work with stale data, right? Because fast boot blocks on that. And then it'll cache it and then it'll be fast, like our homepage. Yep. Right? But if you need a settings page and you don't want it to you can't you have to the constraint is real time, you need to go off the happy path. See what I'm saying? How the real time constraint is what moves you off the happy path. I know, but you could always have the model hook run for every single request so that if you request the settings page the model hook is going to run in how fast would you do that so you can do that in fast boot fast boot would run the model hook for you you're saying like if is fast boot or, or something like or d- ignore this or something just 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 um no but that's the same as making a component f- fetch data you're changing the ember app code to accommodate the real-time route you see what i'm saying Whereas the home page is going to work out once you add fastboot app server and varnish. I'm saying there's no varnish in front. No, no, varnish is varnish is what it's all about. Because why else would you render on the server? Why else would you render on the server unless you're going to cache it ahead of time? Well, let's. I mean, let's say that let's say that fastboot got fast, and we could generate pages. That's effectively what I'm saying, though. That. Um. That's fine. It's it's weird. It's a very weird case because it's, it's like not server. realistic, and you can't actually do it today. No, but it's fine. It's just saying that. It's just saying that. Um, no, no. I'm just comparing. Once you decide to server, you can server generate stale pages, like the pages that you can server generate, mm-hmm. server side generate SSG, right? SSG with Zite looks like uh moving code into get initial props yeah for the data fetching stuff yes ssg with ember looks like doing nothing different like once you add fast boot and varnish then your ember app code is not changing at all so if you are thinking about the entire architecture the architecture uh defaults to ssg every page in the same way yep whereas the zite architecture uh, defaults to SSG in the app shell. So if you want your data requests and your dynamic parts of your app to take advantage of SSG, you have to make a modification. Whereas over here, if you turn on SSG, you break routes the, the that model depend always, on... Always yes. runs. So you break routes that depend on uh, real-time data. You have to change the code there to accommodate for them. Um, See what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Can I repeat? Yes. Okay. So in in the next model, since your data fetching starts off in use effect, yes. If you want to get server side generation of this data, yes. you move it. You have to move it out. You have to change the code because use effect doesn't run yes. on the server. Yes. However, in Ember, your data fetching starts off in model. Yes. And model does run on the server. So if you don't, if you want to opt out of SSG, by the way, I like this term. Yeah. 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 Um, you have to find another way. Exactly. Component that fetches data and data insert element. So so the reason why I wanted to clarify all this is because we're talking about like which architecture we like better. And like when we were working on this, you were often like, yeah, the Ember model is so nice here, right? And the reason it's nice is because like you don't actually care whether the code needed to power and render this page is like a static like JavaScript code uh, that's like in your template file or a data request 
because the model hook acts as a choke point, um, both all of them are are the same level, which is a nice mental model for saying what can we SSG basically um, or SSR. But like, yeah, it's really effectively SSG because like we don't run the thing at fast time at, at runtime. But that's like a separate issue. So. Whereas in the React case, all effects are use effect. There is no subset of effects that is specifically about data fetching for this route. Whereas like you can think of model hook as did insert element, a very special breed of did insert element that Fastboot happens to wait on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... Um, of, of use effect. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. It would be like if you could mark the use effects that you want to, to block rendering this component. I guess that's what suspense is. Um, if so that's a good interesting point with like next block on suspense boundaries you would expect it to um maybe that's more similar to the model hook right yeah i don't i don't we i don't i don't know what would happen i don't know if because then the code changes would look different but um but i don't know if the server would wait on a suspense boundary suspense boundary says you can't render or you just rent you can render yeah you render the fallback and that's it that's your render you would want to block rendering you want to be able to block rendering like visit being asynchronous is good like you want that yeah so that's what this all comes back to and why you were saying things like what i really want is the ember fastboot model here because you have a way in app code to designate what should block rendering this thing and now with Zite, you're kind of re-modifying, you're changing the architecture of your app. Um, it's nice. The Ember is a black box here is nice. Now the con though, is that what get initial props gives you is that um, uh, that Ember doesn't is what? What does it get? I'm trying to, I have a yeah, lot yeah, going yeah. on in my mind right now. The whole benefit of get initial props is is when you want to. Um, okay, let's just let's get the, there. Uh, the, it's just it's just easier because you have. You have, have a, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. This, this yeah. is the thing. This is the thing. Get initial props is literally a documented, provided API for you to say this thing uh, is like a real time thing that should not block. That's not cannot be SSG'd, and I want to wait for the client to make it. Whereas Bing, in Ember case, bingo, you're doing like if is fast boot in my model, model hook, hook the or model hook always runs yeah so you have to find out so you have to or you're making a data fetching component or you're or if you're doing a rail server like you are doing all these other things so the whole point is like um like if you want to ship a half of your app and then let the shell run and then make a data delay a data request until the client once you've introduced ssr and ssg it's way easier with Zite than it is with the other basically everything else yep so that that is the benefit Yep. If the, these aren't intention, though, if React had a model for um, blocking rendering, then you could have the best of both worlds, it feels like, where you wouldn't have to modify your application code just to SSG it because you have a way to block rendering on async things that you've decided can be cached, right? So let's say you had a model, a use model effect. If you had use model effect and... Um, I just want to say, yeah, yeah, I do. And, and a shoebox, basically a shoebox. Uh, shoebox is something. No, it's we add on it. No, but it's the whole point is like no, the, it's not. It's not add on because the whole point is like how can you get to a point where your the app developer is writing app code 
and is not having to think about this and they're not getting into a trouble spot where later later when you add ssr ssg you have to modify your app code that's mm -hmm. the whole point right so ember wins in certain cases but in the case where you want to delay the request until the client does it it loses right whereas react wins in that case but it loses in the case where you want the to ssg which is a lot of the pages which is why you were saying like i really want the fast boot model here because once you want to ssg all this stuff or ssr it then you need to start modifying your application code because you have no high fidelity way to mark which effects should really be blocking and really be a choke point which are really part of the ssr output exactly yep that's why it's useful yeah i was as you were saying this i don't like maybe there's a way that we could get there with the react model because we can always run a, a react app and and in do whatever js dom or in chrome yeah 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 that's and, what, and what i was set thinking a point like we could yeah. run an app and just say like if the output hasn't changed we're not for, ready yet or we're, yeah oh. yeah if the output is changing we're not ready yet. yeah exactly well that's what my question we can was also like, be what super is... naive we can just say run a page and uh a thousand milliseconds later capture the output for sure and that's for all the apps that we work on that's pretty damn close that's to... true and then then and then all that's going to be cached um and then for the pages that need it to be on the client they'll just get the shell and then they'll make the request on the client that's pretty interesting dude actually so with next can you like we do we need like a use server so <laughs> yeah exactly i mean get it's not use server effect though it's it's well yes it's really use server effect is the first layer and then model hook with uh shoebox is the next layer yeah, on top yeah. of that um, if the server happens to have this data it is a really good architecture there's no question the the model hook on the router being a choke point being able to share the data with the shoebox lets you gives you basically all the control you need if they had if ember had a way to um ember just needs a better way to 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 not block to to do non-blocking requests uh it's basically ember concurrency it's not that bad i guess so it's actually not that bad but it's kind of like a big change when you go from it's, fetching data in the route to like fetching data yeah it is it's, it's a, it is it is yeah. it's um yeah but like and also ember developers aren't thinking about that as like this data needs to be fresh or this data can be right. stale whereas like i feel like the get initial props thing is like you're thinking about this from the beginning um what can be fetched on the server or what can be cached it is perfectly fine that my client makes this request so i'm just going to throw this fetch call in in a use effect yeah and that's like that's yeah. just there's no yeah. overhead there i can think about it without i need a term that's like i can think about it without having to make to, architecture right, decisions right, right now right 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 so. right it's not gonna um get you in a bad spot um i really want to build the next app now yeah this me too like, i'm super interested i want i want to read through the guides i'm interested in it um also like i, I only literally haven't read anything on the next website i'm just talking about stuff that i've heard from like guillermo on twitter and on podcasts so i could be saying so many wrong things this episode but i don't yeah i think there's a lot of we don't we're talking about architecture right right, level, right, so. right right model hook is great but it's also like really it's not named correctly you really want to be whether you're doing the model hook in ember or you're using an effect to fetch the data needed to render a page you need you actually want in both cases something more uh expressive so when i render a load if I render the home page of Ember Map and it can be rendered with stale data, like that is a fundamentally different model hook than 
rendering the settings page. And so you want an API to be able to express that because then all of this server-side architecture could take advantage of that. It would be even less changes to your code. You see what I'm saying? So what, what I'm saying is like, why, why do you why do you move a data request from the model hook to components? Because you don't have a way to tell the system that you that this is critical real-time data. And therefore, even if I'm ever in an environment where my server is pre-rendering my Ember app or rendering it with like cache data to avoid this because that's really what you're trying to say um see what i'm saying yeah i mean you can do this with like if a model hook if it's fast boot return yeah, nothing that's but that else yeah but you want that to be request. a first class api like yeah. you, you want what if you had like a model maybe that's hook? not that bad but what if you had a model hook uh you, you could decorate yeah exactly what if you had a model hook and then you could decorate it and say say at real time and and then boom all those model hooks are just avoided on the on the server and uh it's funny at real time is not it's not enough because from the server's point of view it's real time it's like no no no, client. no. well i know i yeah, know yeah, i know i know yeah. it's like client at client at, yeah client yeah no but the reason you're putting at client the reason you're putting at client is because you want to deliver the shell as fast as possible. You want to deliver as much of the app as possible. It's literally just this code in the model hook that you want to wait and push off until the edge. Until exactly. The end. exactly. So it's, 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 um, at not instant, something like that. It's it, the decorator is like this no, thing. It's, 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 it's don't let this fresh. block. It's yeah, don't it, let this block you from rendering no, but the reason the you're doing app. that why are you doing that is because the data needs to be fresh for the user that's what is implying all of this so i know but in both like at fresh in both cases whether it's rendered on the server or the client the network request is going to be made neither of those cases are going to read from cache so i don't like at fresh because it's no no, no on the server you want to avoid this is a, i'm talking about requests you want to avoid on the server right 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 no no i'm but i'm saying like at fresh implies that uh it wouldn't be fresh. It shouldn't be used in an environment where it can't be fresh. Right, exactly. Exactly. What you just said. But that's true though. It should not be used in an environment where it can't be fresh, which is the server. It can it, be fresh on the server. No, it well, just would it no, just you'd rather, delays the app yeah, shell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's it's like it's so it's like at don't delay the app shell. Yeah, it's just um it's just uh you need it you need origin at runtime, basically. It's like do you need to hit the origin at runtime? And if so, boom, like Let's let the client do it. Yeah. Because the server is really, yeah. really great at generating stuff that the origin that doesn't involve the origin. Exactly. Exactly. But that's see, at origin at runtime is different than like I need to make a, a net, an asynchronous network request. Whereas in React, use effect is the only thing you have. And that's why it's you can't say some asynchronous things. Uh, need to hit the origin and some don't and the ones that don't go ahead and, and SSGM for me when you're doing your server stuff that's why the model hook is so good but you want something one more piece into it which is um, yeah uh, which is uh, hit origin at, at runtime and therefore don't hit it any other time this is like a thing that must go to origin for the user therefore don't run it until the user is looking at it basically yeah, it's really don't run it on the first render because I want my first render. Not it's run it on the last render. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I want my first render to be uh, like get me to time to first bite, time to first paint as quick as possible. Yeah. So 
That's basically SSG. Yeah. That's app shell. Yeah. And then this yeah. is why this is why get initial props is bad because get initial props is effectively use server effect. Yep. Right? Yep. Get initial props is use server effect that blocks the React app from rendering. Yep. But but you don't want use server effect just like you don't want server model because you want the same code to to um power you want a place to say uh what what request powers this page in both environments it's just you need something in addition which is something that says um i only want to run this in client you know Mm -hmm. um you really want a block router effect block rendering effect use use layout effect if it stopped if it stopped the react app from returning um and you would use layout effect for all your data requests and um that way, when you transition on the client, the client's making the data requests. If you SSG on the server, it's going to block on those data requests. And then you actually use effect when you want to go to origin on client only. I, and then server rendering. having a such a hard time. <laughs> you should just make up new effects because I'm trying to map I, I, I layout write effect. It out as and, a thing. And it's really use blocking effect. If you had use blocking effect and, and the React community was taught to use that for all data requests, it would be a similar thing, and then and you had next um, uh, architecture. Then you have a really smooth path to F, path to SSG and SSR, and you also still have a way to put off uh, critical real time data requests to the client until the client is finally rendered on the cl- on the user's end user's device. That's really what I want. So in your world, I would use use blocking effect for all for all data fetching, and that would cause those effects wouldn't run on the server but they would run on the client no no they would run on the server they they would they run both they run in both and then and then when i need a data effect that shouldn't prevent app shell from rendering i can what do i use i use something else right i use some other effect yeah you just use a normal effect ah ah, okay okay, yeah okay because normal effect is already client only yeah I mean, couldn't, couldn't you just say like, well, that is, you do have that. It's called get initial props. No, but when you start working on a new React app, you don't put all data fetching code and get, and get initial props. Also, doesn't that only run on the, on the server? So once you have the React app and you click on a link to go to a new route, you're not going to use get initial props. Uh, See what uh, I'm saying? You want the thing that starts off by running in both, yeah, similar to the model. Yeah, exactly. And then you decide, Progressively decide when to split. Yeah. Where where the next model says we, we, we start off by only running on the client. Yes. And then if you progressively uh, speed up things by adding it to the server. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know which I'd prefer. I think well, I'd I be okay. I think I'd be with, okay with either. With either if the, you want the one with the fewer changes required for your app code, right? And so um yeah. That's the thing. With React fetching data in an effect is how you do it. If you could just switch use effect to use blocking effect that would be a very small change. Whereas an Ember fetching data and model hook is great. And then switching your app to work where it doesn't do that is a big change. It's not a smooth transition. Right, right, right. Um, right. But now, even, even if it's minimal code, it's still a lot of decisions. It's a lot of decisions, yeah. And you're not using the router anymore. Right. So you're a lot, losing a lot of the template conventions and the controller stuff. I have, I have a question now. now also, are, the suspense, it's not really fair because the suspense stuff is, they're not going to come out 
the, to, the reality is they're not going to come out with use blocking effect and therefore it won't be a, a one line and change right, to your right, data right. fetching code they're coming out with suspense which is a bigger change to to that that's yeah. how you communicate that this should block rendering in some way you could imagine a suspense boundary with like no fallback which is like a, a way to tell react you can't render this until this is all yeah. resolved or something like that i don't know just guessing at this point i i i, I have a question so mm. part of like zeit now next their whole thing is like have a fast app speed yeah. up your app yeah use these tools and you'll get a fast app so it seems like in their world um since use blocking effect it would actually slow down by default would actually slow down your app because you couldn't you couldn't render an app shell if you have use blocking effects well you could if you cache it like you wouldn't you i know, I know but their whole thing is like really 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 fast apps so like even if you don't have a cache yeah, so, I, mean, just, I guess in my mind, like cache is what makes it. You don't want to rely on runtime server like running your. You don't want your server to run your React code at the time when the user clicks a link. That feels slow to me. I don't know. I, I you want to get the React to code me. On that's the like client. a black box. Yeah, that I guess could so. be sped up. So that's like out of my. Like that's not a concern. I just feel like the the cutoff is like the cutoff is is whether the data can be fresh or not, and 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 once the data has to be fresh. You, you request it on the client and everything else can be like cached and, and rendered and cached at the edges and it doesn't matter. I know, but, but if you start, again, in a world where you want to encourage people to be fast, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you start off by requesting data on the client, it basically makes app shell generation really easy and thus nudges you towards a fast website because it gives you a server render that generates the app shell. Well, what I'm saying is that like, uh, you would be uh, faster because your server would be able to SSG not only the app shell, but the data too. And in the event where you need the data to be fresh and not cached, then you don't use blocking. No, effect. no, no. So that's, no, no, no. That, that's where, that's where we're attention because. Um, you're in, saying the in, first initial run without the cache, like a in, cache miss? No, 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 no. In, in your world, yeah. you use blocking effect. Yeah, it runs for, on the server. Yeah. Let's say that that's really fast. It takes like 50 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. you still like when i make a request to your website i still have to wait 50 milliseconds because on the server no but if it's cached it would be in the payload that is served by the like like the like the same thing serving the okay. way it's the ember map model okay but that's what i'm but, talking about but caching like we can hand wave with cache and solve a lot of anything things. like no, but that can, is how ember map works it literally doesn't matter that the model hook t- could take eight seconds or whatever yeah right but, to me that's like good architecture I know, but there's a whole bunch of other. Tra- I mean, there's just there's a whole bunch of decisions we have to make. I'm saying I'm saying by mm-hmm. Zeit encouraging you to fetch data on the client is their default happy path. They yes, make you it- get an app shell fast, but you do not get the fast boot behavior where once you correct, correct. yeah, so- but but because you can app shell fast. Also, I don't know if I believe this, but I do yeah. want to make this argument. Yeah, yeah, because you can app shell fast you're encouraging people to make fast websites. I don't know if that's true. Would, is it really fast to see a loading spinner for 30 seconds when <laughs> you're, there's no reason your architecture couldn't just nudge you to make it so that you cache not only the app shell, but also the content that can be stale. That's what I'm saying is the important distinction that the app developer be thinking about what data can be stale and what data must be real time. And to be able to mark that in a way that the architecture can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. If you're, if next... Can, and Zite can pre-render your app shell. Why not pre-render the parts of your site that can be 
stale like a blog yeah yeah you yeah that's saying? that's fair imagine we could snap our fingers and there was like and you there's a great data fetching library that's like server side cache aware right exactly that's the thing like now they have ssg for next but how do you do it you move the data fetching into get initial props if you wrote a blog in react and used effect to fetch the data for the blog and then tried to layer on ssg wouldn't work you'd have to start re-architecting your app to move the data fetching into get initial props yep. and now you're tied to like next and there's nothing in your code in the react code that comprehends the fact that uh this should like block anything anywhere it's just all the same there's one kind of effect whereas really there are different kinds of effects in this when yep, we're talking yep, about yep. data fetching and um if react had a way to uh to te- to say like there's a certain subclass of effects that we wait on. Um, Okay. Or like even get initial props is like, it's like kind of, it's just dumb because it's not part of your react app. It's outside of it. So it's like, can choose to run that first and then render your react app. But like you really want, yeah, I guess it's pretty similar to that. I guess if you're building, the problem is like you're building a next app and it's not just a react app anymore. That's the thing that's bothering me. Does, is there is there something fundamental here that if we have components that can suspend like, suspend and not return yeah, anything, could, does could, this break, basically could does next this break deprecate no no could no no could next deprecate get initial props and use suspense boundaries instead? That would be the interesting question. So you would put all your data. Is there a way code? to suspend? Wait wait wait. So it you, would basically be Ember. My suspense boundary says if I'm on the server, then no placeholder, no fallback, and therefore block rendering. If you could do that, then Zite doesn't. That next doesn't need get initial props anymore, right? Because you're going to force that effect. By the way, we don't even know if we don't even runs know on the suspend. server, but 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 you're saying imagine it did. Yeah, I'm sure it does, but I guess we don't know. I'm just guessing. Then you're basically at fast boot model, where where suspense boundaries with no fallback act like model hooks that completely block rendering, and then you can put conditional logic in your app that says whether I'm on the server or client, and now we can also talk about this layer on top, which is really like an at fresh decorator it's something like that where you're saying oh this boundary or yeah this promise that we're throwing is actually like a fresh data thing and so now the architecture can just say okay we'll ignore that one on the server and then that's basically that's that that's the level i want to be thinking at because that's the level the app developer should be thinking at yep this yep, dashboard yep, can yep. be cached it's okay that's a little stale but once you go to the to the user's page it needs to be fresh i think one of the things too is you're saying that once you have this you can layer in caching yes that's the whole point that is the whole question get initial props is a different level of abstraction than your application code the whole question here is an app developer building an app being nudged in certain directions how can you uh what apis what is the arch- what is the application apis needed for an architecture like zite to have enough information to know what to ssg and ssr and what to push off until basically ssg and what to push off until the client um like to make things simple mm-hmm. like what's what is stale enough that it can be ssg'd and then what can be um put off until the client initializes so something like that this is good you know i never really thought about like all these ways to think i mean i clearly haven't thought about all this but it's um, well we've thought about it we just haven't had names we haven't really clarified it have being having great apis to defer rendering until the client yeah i mean literally what do we do in the header for ember map once we introduce caching and fast boot 
what do we do in the header? It's if, what do we have to do? It's yeah. like if not, if fast boot, you're not going to have the data you need to render this. Yeah. So render placeholders. Yeah. At the template layer or something or component layer or something. I mean, it's it, unfortunately it's all over the place yeah. because we started off with an with an application uh, hook that right. fetched some data. Right, right, right. But right, that right. can't run in fast. So that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Is like, see, what I'm from, saying, it's, from, it ha- yeah, what are you yeah, taught yeah. to put your data fetching code, and how does that, how does that help you fall into a natural pit of success when it comes time to cache, when it comes time to layer in fast in performance, or when it comes time to deploy to an architecture provider that is focused on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm how not- much can the architecture do for you based on how you've annotated your code? Right. That's the, uh-huh. that's that's what we're really talking about here. And Ember's fast boot architecture can do a lot for you, given that it knows the model hook in general is a choke point. But then there are these cases where if most of your if most of your routes can be cached and can work with stale data, the Ember architecture is great, actually. And then for the if it's half and half, you're going to be changing a lot of code. Right. Mm-hmm. Same with React. If most of your code needs to be dependent on runtime it's the flip right if most of code needs to depend on runtime it's going to be great about giving you that app shell really quick and then react on the client will make all the data requests but if you want to layer in pages being cached you now have to refactor your app code to use get initial props which is like a weird thing and i'm saying there's no reason um you couldn't come up with a higher level thing that makes sense in the vernacular of the app developer uh where they can annotate which code needs to be like that from the beginning so that when you add these architectures you can you can just you don't have to change the app code as much this is great you know i just want to can i just end with one thing yeah when we were fast booting ember map um i have this like it's 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 a a decorator like thing pre-decorators it's called rendering context Mm -hmm. and you give it a hash with server and client and those are both functions Mm -hmm. so i can say model hook colon rendering context that's an object that object has two methods server and client in fastboot it's only going to run the server code and the client it's only going to run the client code I, I wasn't thinking about this conversation when i wrote that i was thinking from the point of i can't run this code in fastboot because it uses window mm-hmm. or i can't run this code in fastboot because it's slow yeah it just doesn't that's not what i'm trying to accomplish yeah. here i'm trying to like this would make more sense to run on the client, right. but I wasn't thinking about stale this. data yeah. right at this level. But I think if you if could, I went back if, if and you... I looked at that code, we would see a lot of this yes. conversation showing up. Yes. How I'm using that client and server yes. function. Yes, yes, yes. So I really like yes. just to echo your point. Yeah, yeah. giving the like equipping the application developer with the vernacular and the vocabulary th- to be thinking about yes. that. Totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. Dad, I wish we didn't have all these websites to maintain <laughs> so we could just go off and build like a next app. Like we got, we have, we got to work on Ember map. We got to work on Mirage. We can rewrite them both in next this weekend. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Pretty interesting stuff, man. Um, I feel like the fast boot architecture is super interesting, especially if someone has only ever done like react and, or something without more um, structure to it. To see that you can take an app that was written on the client and run it as a black box on the server is just super powerful. Yep. Um, but it still doesn't have the granularity that, that we want, right? That, that we're, this conversation kind of exposed, which is that um, really the app developer, this is really what it boils down to. The app developer 
is in the best position to know whether a particular data fetch uh, needs to happen at runtime or it can be cached or it can be yeah that's great because that is that is true for every app like if you think about a rails app the app developer knows totally the, the if, if this sql query can be cached or if this should run that's right that's right you're layering the caching stuff in the in the template and yeah. rails with the russian doll stuff so it's an acknowledgement that the, that that should live there um super interesting actually um and then you just don't cache things that need to be real time and yeah the app developer knows that mm -hmm. that's pretty interesting actually i hadn't even really thought about that as an analogy but so yeah the the rails model is more like the react model <laughs> sorry my brain is i know i know the Rea the rails model is more like the react model which by default everything happens at client time and as you 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 layer in speed improvements whereas the ember model is like everything happens at server time once you introduce fast boot and then you have to opt out of things running on the server if you want to push them off until the client yep. so if you want the freshest thing rails is by default going to wait and then you layer in caching by adding in like the the russian doll caching stuff which is a super awesome api talk about expressive it's really this good. chunk of the template is busted when model id5 changes like that's uh really good yep um think how much advantage the architecture could could take advantage of there like everything not in those needs to go to origin but like you said like these providers right. and stuff and this is like the beauty of freaking running react components on the edge because rails templates they just run on like one server. exactly exactly but imagine exactly. you could like break that up by component exactly exactly that's what that we need the level of expressivity in the in the in the app code in the templates in the jsx components whatever so that the tools can do this really cool stuff right now everything's in effect it's not enough it's too it's too blunt of a tool to make data requests with um and like get initial props is like oh we'll just give you a function to do that but that's like still not enough right just like the model hook is is not enough um <laughs> you know what i mean anyways pretty interesting Try to think what what apps can I build? What apps can I build? Well, this you, you want to build an app that the, the real way to test this is like an app that is like yeah, Ember Map is a pretty cool example or something that's like a content site that is like or a blog. Um, so, yeah, a blog, a, a personal your homepage, your your personal website, which has stuff like a blog which can be cached, and then stuff like uh, what are my latest GitHub stars or my follower count or something yeah, like that that's real time. I, there is an app, yeah, it's an app that has both. I mean, dashboard app is pretty cool yeah. because they're, you're going to have stuff you want to cache in there. Yeah, exactly. And, and have stuff server generate fresh. SSG. Yeah. Um, blog feels like I would, it's like all cached, all build time. So, no, but the, no, blog, I mean like a, like ryantronson.com will have a blog, which will have cache stuff and then it'll have some aspect of real time. Exactly. Yep. A, a overview or um, your age <laughs> that fetches from the server or something <laughs> and it needs to be real time based on a serverless function can't derive it from birth date either yeah exactly totally not you yeah. have to add you have to make an api endpoint actually that wouldn't be that would be a way to do it what you have to hit an api endpoint that just calculates your age at request time and the request also sends over the current time no right? oh yeah yes, yeah, just, exactly. yes. Well, we need to end this uh
pretty cool though um so should yeah we basically just, should we since we talked for like two hours about <laughs> next should we just plan to carve out like a good 15 minutes for all the corrections we need to right make right next week? Uh, yeah the amendments yep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. once we actually get around to trying it out anyways we didn't even talk about the, the the other interesting thing that happened which was why we were deep diving into next in the first place is because those bastards swap out a module in your build tool that happens to be something that sounds like a polyfill even if it changes the behavior so um that was interesting and that's what broke mirage why why there's not like a way easy way to use mirage with, with next right now and uh we actually have a fix coming for that pretty soon i think we we know what it looks like and we think we can fix it, it has to do with um some some of that stuff upstream and pretender so we are hoping to have a quick start guide for Mirage next very soon. It's really important to us because we've had like four or five people ask, which means there's like 20 people who have tried or 30 people and haven't found an answer. Um, so uh, it's next is definitely pop- popular. So yeah. Um, and going back to the, the onboarding. Yeah. I, I think that's, I, I mean, I don't know. I think that's one of the reasons. That's really cool. But yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, if you stuck around this long, we're going to send you a Reese's peanut butter cup. So just uh, tweet me with your address and um, we'll send you a Reese's peanut butter yeah, cup. Yeah, we can commit to that. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll, I will I will pay someone to do it. I will do it myself. We'll do it. But if you stuck around with us and uh, give me your personal information, your social security card, your first <laughs> uncle's name, your name, your pet, name, your best friend in high school. Was that that movie 21 with Kevin Spacey where they like, did you ever see that? Kevin Spacey, they they like they're like counting cards in Vegas and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they yeah, like so they ask the guy that they ask some guy that they end up hustling like, oh your brother's your uncle's name and oh what was your first dog's name? But they're on a plane and they're like slowly asking him oh. all the security questions for a banking login so they can just they can get it. They can get it. There's a great. There's a great. By the way, you can just stop listening. <laughs> um, there's a great tweet that's like your hacker name is your like your favorite sport plus your mom's last name oh and it's trying to get and people it's passwords. like everyone always replies they're like oh so cool there's like you know there's 75 percent is like oh no one fall for this like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah right so. <laughs> just because that's a common combination for passwords yeah, or something. yeah, yeah right the, yeah security questions oh my gosh Dude, you know, oh, I see. Dude. I see. I see. see dude. I would have been the one who did it because I didn't understand. It's two <laughs> yeah, security exactly. questions. This is, this is <laughs> dude, let me rail. That's <laughs> so funny. Dude, United, I, I'm so clueless, man. United Airlines, you have to freaking answer these questions when you log into your account oh, to, like, to like book flights. Oh, God. And so it's it's incredibly, um, it's just, why to book a flight? Well, people are just using randomly generated passwords on one password now for all the security questions. Oh, re- oh, cool. And just save it and just mark it as a thing. And that way it's not remembering anything. You're just using you, it as a password the same nice. way you would your other passwords. One of the things that drives me crazy about um, United is that they do not ask, like, I'm going to call them like fixed security questions. So like an example of a fixed security question would be like, um, what town were you born in? Right, that mm-hmm. doesn't change. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They'll say, "What's They'll, your favorite fruit?" or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's ridiculous. Or like, or like, uh, what did you eat for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's like, ridiculous. So like, not only are they asking these awful questions, but you have to answer them. Oh. You, so I never. I think I just have like every. Um, I was gonna say like I think I just have an answer just 
no matter which one I select, it's always the same answer. Yeah, but yeah. I don't really want to say that. Yes. <laughs> Someone's going to book flights right. and get me mileage points. Nala, Nala, Nala. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's one of them's what's your current pet name? Oh. And and so it's, it's like, like, yeah, yeah you're going to have yeah. like different pets. Yeah. In life. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> It needs to be like they have to be fixed yeah that's uh that's pretty dumb cool again if you stay with us we appreciate you <laughs> if you made it this hard you get two races <laughs> all right let's uh let's wrap it let's wrap it thanks for listening we'll see you next week bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.